Welcome to episode 69 of GBW Podcast. <laughs> <laughs> My name is Josh, and with me as always is Chris. Hey, <laughs> going? And we figured with this episode number, what kind of hunky sex could we bring in to um, liven things up? So we asked our friend Vince D'Amato to return. The epitome of hunky sex, right here on the Throw podcast. Throw it on the table like a baby's arm, buddy. And it's hot and sweaty in summertime. And so... it's not because he's here. No. Well, it's well, also because bit. he's here. Um, I'm, a, I'm a little moist. So... Oh, God. Swass. <laughs> Not swass. Okay, so we've got Vince here for this episode as well as the next episode because we're going to, on the next episode, we're going to be returning to our um, underrated series and doing the 80s. But um, because we figured it would be so much talking, we too decided... Too epic. Yeah. Too epic. <laughs> we decided to split it in two. Um, so we're going to do one... Ep- uh, this first episode will just be catching up on what we've been up to and what we've been seeing. And then the next episode will be underrated 80s. But before we get going on that, um, I just want to catch up with Vince and just sort of see what he's been up to. And also, uh, there was a big announcement yesterday on his upcoming film festival. So I was hoping you could talk a bit about that. Absolutely. I would love to. Thank you. Um, And thank you both for having me on the podcast again. Uh, Thank you guys, Josh and Chris, uh, for for having me here. Because I always love coming here and talking to you guys about movies. And you guys know I do. Because every time I come here and talk about movies, I'm like, okay, when is the next time I'm going to get to come here and talk about movies? And they both... Both kind of like look away and be they're they're like well we'll we'll see, <laughs> but thank you for having it, it, me. It back depends again on today. your choices today. <laughs> Vince uh, Vince ends up making me broke actually too because he uh, forgets to bring stuff. If you know what I mean. Uh, no, I don't know what you're talking well, actually, about. Oh, you those sex toys expensive. you were talking no, about? No, no, oh no, that's, my that's goodness! Sir. Oh right, and I did remember those, but I left them on the bus. <laughs> We're on their way to New West. Let's talk about Cinema (laughs) Fantastique. Yes, which is what we've been up to. Um, uh, Nikki and myself, uh, my my lovely, beautiful wife, Nikki, uh, who we started Creepy Six Films back 15 years ago. Now we are are in the third year of the annual Cinema Fantastique Film Festival. And for the first time, we're actually back downtown. We have not been downtown doing film events since 2014. We are back downtown this year, uh, August 26th at the Van City Theatre. It's going to be a 13-hour genre film extravaganza. It's going to include uh, Pool Party Massacre that I know you guys are excited about. Drew Maverick, the director of Pool Party Massacre, is going to be coming up. Plus, we have loads of special guests. Every film this year is going to be in competition. We're going to have four judges, um, and we're releasing the names of those judges uh, in in, in series, I guess you would say, on social media. But right now, what's great about today and the big news that... uh, Josh and Chris were talking about was that we just released actually the uh, pre-ticket sales, which means that you have an opportunity to get um, all sorts of ticket or ticket t-shirt combinations for reduced prices uh, right now. So if you look on the uh, Facebook page, uh, just uh, if, if you search Cinema Fantastic 3 on Facebook, or if you go to our uh Webpage cinemafantastic.org. Uh, you can get uh, uh, links to all the ticket sales there for, you, for this August. Can you just quickly spell it out just in case there's some people who are literate? Yeah, you bet. It's <laughs> cinema, C I N E M A, fantastic, F A N T A S T I Q U E, dot org. O R G. 
Orgy. <laughs> orgy. Dot orgy, everybody. Oh, Everybody's going to be looking at where were these orgy tickets? Holy shit. I came for the orgy and I stayed for pool party massacre. <laughs> and somebody threw a t shirt at me. What the fuck is going on? I paid 20 bucks for more than a t shirt, Vince. <laughs> I said somebody threw the t-shirt, okay? <laughs> We've also got some special guests that we're going to be announcing soon, very, very soon, like within the next few days, actually. Oh, no, by the time this airs, we'll have already announced those special guests. Yeah. So have at it if you want to announce any of them. Well, Lloyd Kaufman's coming up again, and he's going to be in attendance for the entire film festival, and we are actually doing the Canadian premiere screening of his film Return to Newcomb High Volume 2 which premiered at the Cannes Film Festival just in May this year but we're doing the first Canadian screening of it that's awesome have you seen part one yet? not yet not yet well we should all do that yes I have. go see part I one have part one on Blu-ray <laughs> yes see that first because actually they wanted us to do a double feature we just simply don't have time to squeeze in a trauma double feature as much as we would love to do that um, but, but we're screening part two so go home Watch part one on Blu-ray, come to the festival, and watch part two. Awesome. Yeah, I'm looking forward to actually meeting Lloyd, because I know last time he was here, I didn't get the opportunity. So uh, You just missed him by, like, literally minutes. I remember that, actually. Well, I was standing outside. I had to go. <laughs> yeah, I know. It sucked. Yeah. Um, so let's talk about just a few of the other films. So you mentioned Pool Party Massacre, which yeah. I, I know is getting starting to pick up a little bit of steam, at least on social media. I've seen it pop up here and there. So can you tell us a little bit about that one? About Pool Party Massacre? Yeah, yeah it's actually trauma-esque, to yeah. be honest. Um, we saw this film, uh, we first saw this film at the Portland uh, PD Extreme Film Fest in December, and Drew was there as well. But, uh, I, I mean, it was a midnight screening, and <laughs> this is the funny thing, and Drew's going to kill me if I tell the story, because he doesn't even know this story. But the the curators of the festival, Jeremy and Dulcie, they were worried that they had, uh, because they had scheduled his film to be screened at midnight, that nobody was going to come. Yeah. So he was like... Vince, you got you. You got to stay here. You, you got to watch this film. I'm like, oh, dude, I'm tired. I want to go for beer. He's like, J we got beer here. Just come and watch the fucking film. I'm like, okay, fine. He's like, the guy's gonna be here. You know, J just stay and watch the movie. And I did. And I was like, holy shit. <laughs> why did you screen this at midnight? Well, I knew why they screened it at midnight because it's a it's a trauma slasher movie. Phil, it, it's it is it delivers exactly what it says it is. It is a pool party massacre. It's <laughs> Babes in bikinis, and it's actually hilarious. It's really well written. Um, the gore gags are fantastic. And as soon as I saw this film, I was like, I, I was, uh, I was a Drew fanatic. I'm like, Drew, oh my god, what else are you? Doing? I was following him around for the rest of the film festival, like you know, trying to grab swag and hats and stickers from him. I'm like, Drew, come on, we're doing a film festival too. You want to come up to ours later on? You know, it, I became a huge fan like instantaneously when it went af after I saw this screening. So. Awesome. Is this his first film? I believe it is. Oh, okay, yeah, cool. I believe it is, yeah. And uh, can you tell us about some of the other features that are going to be there? Yeah, well, um, we have an eclectic uh, sort of slate of genre features. One is uh, pretty much based all in, you know, sexy, nudity, lesbian sort of thing. It's called Picture of Beauty. That's going to be our late night screening. Um, and, you know, it, we watched 10 minutes of it. Nikki and I were watching it. Nikki's like, 
you're going to program this, aren't you? I'm like, yep. (laughs) (laughs) And she knew because it it looks like a modern Jean Roland film, Jean Roland, uh, Jess Franco, uh, but, but they're, they're sexy films, not the bloody films, you know? Uh, so there's a lot of that. However, I I should say there's equal opportunity nudity in this film. Like the filmmakers from Poland, um, actually the filmmaker, uh, was the cinematographer on the original Tomb Raider movies. Wow. Yeah. It's, it looks amazing. Like it actually looks so good. You yeah. know, it's it's probably our best looking movie, but it's just filled with sex and nudity and lesbians, and it's a period piece. Um, so we're, we're closing with that film. We're opening with a film that is a little bit surreal. It's called uh, Reveries of a Solitary Walker. Um, that's from Italy. It's surreal and it mixes in. Uh, live action, well, if you could say live action, but um, stop motion animation Okay, great. with the film. Uh, that's the opening one. Uh, we're also showing a British slasher film, which is fucking amazing, called Who's Watching Oliver? So amazing. Yeah, I watched the trailer for that yeah, one. Yeah, and um, some people might, uh, some listeners might actually uh, recognize that the sound, of the, the name of that film, because it got accepted to Badass, but it was a late entry so badass actually only streamed it they didn't show it in the theater so we are the first one showing it in the theater here um but but it is it's yeah it's a british slasher film a lot of uh quirky social commentative bits in it um including oliver's mom uh that that's an amazing film as well um so so i know we've got five altogether so we've got pool party massacre return to newcomb high volume two picture of beauty uh, reveries of a solitary walker and uh who's watching oliver so yeah those are the feature films we're screening and then uh, we've got just well actually even more of an amazing array a wider away array of uh genre films from all over the world um I think you'd really just have to come see it. We, you know, we've got t- uh, two separate short film blocks going on that day as well. So, yeah. That's great. I know there's uh, some Van- at least one Vancouver filmmaker that I saw in there, Ariel Hansen. Yeah, Ariel Hansen, yeah. Uh, the director and actress in Ready to Burst. Uh, she's going to be there. She's going to do a Q&A. David Abusafi, um, who's course, the yeah. producer of Alpha Mem, uh, which we're showing, he's going to be there. Um, and the evil in us, which I uh, which yeah, we that's right. Oh recently. yeah, yeah. And, and actually, we just uh, I wrote an article about that in the new issue right. of Absolute yeah. Underground, which is out now with uh, the Crypt Keeper on the front of it. So that free magazine, if anybody wants to pick that up. Yeah, we talk about evil in us and autopsy of Jane Doe in there. And um, I was just thinking the other special guest. Well, obviously Drew uh, from Pool Party Massacre is going to be there. Um, we've got some other people from the Hell Haunt short film and the Bun in the Oven, uh, which is a sexy uh, pregnancy <laughs> genre film <laughs> for those of you that are into that. Sexy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, they said, well, we also have a clean version for you. I'm like, no, that's okay. I'll take the unclean version. <laughs> good man, good man. <laughs> well, it sounds like there's, it's going to be a lot of fun. It sounds like there's some really great things that we can watch there, and I'm really excited to be spending mm. the day there. We can watch, we can buy, we can talk to Lloyd. P, uh, filmmakers, including Lloyd, will be doing a Q&A. Great. Uh, oh, my God. We, we got all sorts of things set up. Awesome. Can't wait. 
I also um, noticed something on social media recently um, from former guest uh, Jackie Kong. Yes. And I was just wondering if you had anything about Jackie Kong that you might want to share. Well, um, <laughs> okay, you bring this up. I was trying to keep this quiet, uh, but I have been working for a couple of years now on a book about uh, Stuart Gordon and Brian Usna. And I was Jackie Kong's not keeping it quiet, by the way. Yeah, yeah, I, saw, I clearly saw that on Facebook. Um, but, but, uh, but, but, uh, no, 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 no. I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna tell you something though. To Jackie Kong's credit, she actually asked me first. I'm not kidding. I, and I don't, I don't mean to undermine her, her mystique on social media. Like, oh, I'm just gonna spew this stuff out. But she's actually an amazing woman, and yeah. she actually asked me first if she could do it. And I was just like, you know what? What the hell? Because that's gonna just push us to finish this project. Project. Mm-hmm. You know, you start talking about it, it'll push us to finish it. Um, but I, for a couple of years, I'd been talking, uh, not talking about it, I had been writing a book about Stuart Gordon and Brian Usna, and both of them actually knew about that. I met them both at different times, and I told Stuart Gordon what I was doing, I told Brian Usna what I was doing, and uh, they were both very intrigued with it. But um, within their story, it, it, the, the entire book was just a series of critiques of their films and a little bit of a history of their films. And as Steven Spielberg once said about the, his film Jaws, you know, when he was trying to um, get a final script going for that, we really need somebody to come in and, and break that story's back. And it didn't occur to me. I got invited to do the Q&A with uh, Jackie Kong. Uh, I yeah. think the same night you guys recorded the podcast with her. Um, she was doing a midnight screening of Blood Diner at the Rio a couple of months ago. So I, I got invited to come and do the Q&A with her. And it, it, it occurred to me at that time that she was really involved with a lot of those independent film releases of that time period, specifically that got put out by Vestron Video on VHS at that time. And I thought, here's my opportunity to break the stories back. Sure enough, she has loads of stories yeah. about Vestron Video, her involvement with Vestron Video, and her films with Vestron Video. So I said, well, let's go, let's go that route. So now the book has been split into three parts. The first part is Stuart Gordon, which is already written. The yeah. third part, about Brian Usna, has already been written. I am now currently writing the second part with Jackie Kong, um, and we're going to be doing that a little bit more conversation style, and we're going to get delve far deeper into the um, what was going on with Vestron video and and the VHS releases at that time. Awesome. Well, I'm sorry to bring that up, <laughs> but I didn't do it. Um, but Somebody no, that else sounds did it. Really awesome, man, and uh, we're really excited to read that one. Yeah. Oh, thank you very much. Yeah. So, um. I guess now that that's all out of the way, um, I guess we can get into what we've been watching. And of course, as now that you've surprised me with that, <laughs> well, I'm, I'm totally thrown. <laughs> that's it. I'm out. <laughs> look, look, man. I just I have to do a few things like this every time we have a guest. On. Um, okay, so Keep we're gonna them on get, their toes. We're gonna get into what we've watched. Um, so I think Vince has um, more than us, of yep. course. Surprise, surprise. <laughs> so let's go ahead with um, with you. Why don't you start? Why don't I start? Period. Okay. <laughs> dot, dot, dot. That, that leads into... And, and now I came into this not knowing any of the rules. So this is anything. Like for, Chris, uh, Vince is obviously a very avid listener. Yep. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but, but I just, I just want to be clear. We brought him back for the third time, and I don't think he's heard an episode. Huh? That's actually not true. I have heard episodes. Yeah, just the one but you're I just, on, right? I just, <laughs> No comment. <laughs> it's pretty much whatever you want, um, just nothing too mainstream, which I didn't think would be an issue. 
Well, that is an issue. I've got like my list is fine. You filled with mainstream, mainstream things. I I only just saw Transformers Five. Well, then fucking talk about it. I'm just kidding. Oh, I wouldn't go fucking see that. But I'm gonna I'm gonna start with a surprise. Your problem. I was gonna. I I am actually gonna start with a surprise. All right. First time I have ever seen this movie, Shaft. Whoa. Well. I've got some of those demons in my closet, so it's really? okay. Yeah. The first shaft. The first shaft, Richard Roundtree. I'd never seen it before. I was browsing around on Amazon. I got a, hey, you might like, and it's on sale for seven ninety nine. Nice. So I bought the Blu-ray. I'm like, yeah, like uh, for sure I might like that. <laughs> so, I, I, I and for $7.99, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to check that out. <laughs> I just got to say that um, it's a pretty apt first movie to talk about for episode 69, and that's all I'm going to say. <laughs> You know, I actually, I, I'm, I'm as surprised, I think, as anybody would be the first time they would have seen Shaft. You know, I was taken in right away by the opening, uh, the, the editing of the opening sequence, plus Isaac Hayes' music over yeah. top, like the whole bit. I was just like, I, I saw about four or five seconds of this movie. I'm like, yeah, I'm totally going to like this movie. And I liked it all the way through. Nice. Yeah. All the way through, you know, so that's why I kind of wanted to talk about it today because I thought, well, number one, it's going to be a surprise. But number two, actually, I was really, really keen on it. You know, I I thought it just delivered um, so many surprises with within the writing of that type of story, because because at that time or okay. Sorry, I, sh- I should say from that time period of films that people like us that are that are kind of looking at them retrospectively, um, there's a little bit of expectation, shall we say, of a certain amount of exploitation from these types of films. And while Shaft did deliver those certain things, um, there was actually a lot more to Shaft. I actually think that I, I would consider Shaft one of my tip top ones, like up there w- with the top. Pam Greer ones, of, really? Yeah, for black exploitation. Well, not just for black exploitation, <laughs> but but actually for films from the seventies. I mean, I could have saved this for another uh, films from the seventies thing, but of course, it's not underrated. A lot of people um, have high regard for this yeah, film. Shaft in Africa is yeah. underrated, uh, <laughs> right? Which I haven't, I haven't gotten to yet. I haven't seen either of the sequels yet. But um, but 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 for me, for a first time watching it for the first time in the two thousand and tens in. It, in the fucking ass end of the 2010s. Yeah. Seriously, it still holds up. It literally still holds up. Yeah. Because I think a lot of the the street language that they put into the script and a lot of the street scenarios that they put in the script are still completely relatable today. Yeah. Um, the only thing that I don't think is relatable, but I still enjoyed, was the cop that was on his side. Right? It was like sort of that white Italian yeah. cop uh, from from the actual you know New York precinct precinct um, that ended up being on Shaft's side, helping him out, sort of being Shaft's sidekick in a way, a sort of a behind the scenes sidekick. And of course, that, I don't think that would fly in a modern narrative, but 
it still worked in that film and it was still a real joy to see you know like it, it was a joy to be able to be on the side of several people and being on the side of Shaft who actually was a total sexist you know and not a lot of people want to say that because he's black so it's like oh a black person you know you, you, you don't you, you don't want to say that but Shaft is fucking sexist you know yeah, with, with the whole thing <laughs> and, and, and you know just as James Bond is sexist you know the exact same thing but what's cool is that you know they 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 sort of made that James Bond sexism uh but placed it in a street setting in New York with a private detective um that works with the police department and has a lot of uh, the banter in it is so awesome yeah. actually the banter really just engages you and takes you all the way through the film it is really it, is does. Is that the one where he says, I like my coffee black? Yes, it is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it is. That's right. That's, uh, yeah, Shaft is like probably the biggest inspiration for Black Dynamite, for sure. Yeah. Which actually, I haven't seen that. I haven't seen it. Yeah, yeah, you guys got to check out Black Dynamite. Black Dynamite's pretty rad. Is it also the one where he tells the woman to like not let the door hit her ass on the way out? Uh, yeah, but not in those words, though. I remember... Uh, yeah, yeah. It, 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 <laughs> it was a very memorable it, it, yeah, it was a variation of that. <laughs> Yep, as he's cheating on his girlfriend. Yeah. <laughs> Anywho, don't cheat on your girlfriends. Yeah, Richard Roundtree, I mean, was is obviously an icon of black exploitation cinema, and obviously this is the reason why. And um, it was it was great, and one of the one of the first major black exploitation movies, actually. Yep. Yeah, I'm talking too far away from the mic. Oh, all right. <laughs> uh, so, who's going next? All right. You want me to go next? You can go next. All right. So. Fuck you, Josh. No. <laughs> I can I continued my journey into the into the horrible rabbit hole that is Police Academy. Oh my god. <laughs> I watched Police Academy 5. What? Assignment. He's been watching one every, every Miami time. Beach. <laughs> so, it's another year. This is the one I'm excited about actually. It's another year. No, but it's another year. <laughs> it's another Police Academy movie. But guess who's not here? There's oh, Steven Gutenberg. There's no <laughs> Steve Gutenberg. Also. That hang, seems wrong. Also, hang on. That's like Queen with a... Hang on. Three. It's also... It's also missing Zed, Bobcat Goldthwait's oh. character. And it's also missing Sweet Chuck, played by Tim Kazursky, who's like the little nerdy guy with the glasses. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. So it's missing those three elements. Is the guy who makes the sounds that you love so much there? Oh, fuck him. <laughs> fuck Michael Winslow. He wasn't even good in fucking Cheech and Chong movies, for Christ's sake. But anyway, this movie is... Wow. This movie is Lassard, <laughs> Commandant Lassard, played by George Gaines, finally gets more screen time as he's being given... Isn't that a, Punky Brewster's dad? Might be. I'm not sure. I'm pretty sure But it it, is. He, he gets an award, so he has to go to Miami Beach to get it. Nerd alert. And he, he brings along all of his favorite cadets. So, you know, we've got Tackleberry. we got my buddy Jones. Fuck him. And we've got, you know... Leslie High Easterbrook's Tower. Hightower and Leslie Easterbrook's Hightower's uh, still oh, in it Hightower's in all yeah, of them Leslie Easterbrook's Jesus. back yeah was she back she was back in the last one okay. too and of course for a tag along sake we've got G.W. Bailey's character coming along to try and throw a spanner in the works and uh, his uh, stupid sidekick there uh, who I actually love he's um, what's his name here I wrote it down but uh, I can't find it so anyway do we care that much do you care that much not really <laughs> so they took it to a new locale great take it to miami beach actually trying for a plot this time instead of slapstick jokes because you got renee Abergiones playing like 
a bad guy with his thugs who have to try and like you know smuggle diamonds, but Lassard's in the middle of this diamond smuggling. It's it's fucking stupid, but never mind. It's it's not a very good plot, and uh, you know it's not a good movie. This is Police Academy. Like Vince, a surprise. Vince is, just just so everyone knows. He's got that. Vince is like, why the fuck are you talking about Police Academy Five? <laughs> Well, it's because it's because He's speechless. It's because we hit series sometimes. Okay, I'm just listening. That's okay. all. I'm a good listener. Okay, he's, he's listening, but he's got his fist under his chin. Like, what the fuck is going on right now? But um, you know, they take it to a new locale, but it's more. It's way more buffoonish on its slapstick. You know, it's totally undercooked, and you know the jokes are redone. But this has been happening since part two, so I'm not really that surprised. And but when you were losing Gutenberg. Gutenberg's like the the glue of the Police Academy series here, man. That's you, right. You bring in Matt McCoy, who's this guy who's like supposed to be Lassard's cousin, who's the cop in Miami to replace him, and then you bring in Janet fucking Jones as the love interest. No, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> no, thank you. American Anthony. Where's Kim Cattrall? She's she's been gone since part one. She had the sense to leave. So uh, yeah. It's it's not very good. That's all I'm gonna say. And and I've got two more to go of this shit. And I, I'm sc- two I'm, more police academies, dude. There's seven, and I'm scared. <laughs> <laughs> but it was on Miami Beach. Was there any like exciting Miami Beach things? Was it's there, fu- like bikinis. It's fucking PG. <laughs> was it was spring break at least. No. Oh, were they on those like quads? At least? Do you know what they did, dude? And I'm gonna tell you this. <laughs> they were on the beach playing volleyball, but it was just the cadets. There was no chicks in bikinis. And fucking Jones, that motherfucking noise box was playing a saxophone pretend. Oh, I hate the saxophone! <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. Was he making saxophone He was like, noises? he had his hand up to his mouth, he's making... Oh, God. I fucking hate that guy. And that's that's it. I'm not talking about this movie anymore. I don't hate that guy, but I always thought he was kind of amusing, Jones, but Chris mm, really dude, doesn't dude, like him. Apparently. Dude, no. I guess too much Jones in too little, too short of a time. It's like, maybe you need to only see him every couple of years. You know, before, before you Jones for him. <laughs> Or you give him the shaft. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Those jokes are better than any joke in Police Academy 5, just so you know. <laughs> All right. So okay. your options are watch Police Academy 5 or listen to the jokes on this podcast. Just, just wait. There's going to be part six coming so eventually. I used to do series as well, but I've kind of like learned my lesson. <laughs> I haven't, apparently. And yeah, because I, I went through the whole Friday the 13th series and the whole Halloween series and the whole... Lake Placid, dude. Oh, fuck, the Lake Placid <laughs> series. That was where I stopped doing series but i tried to do evil dead and then i i gotta admit i was fine up to part four but yeah part four of police academy i was fine but this is just oh all right let's get past this yeah Um, let's move on please okay i just want to say i i feel really bad because one of my like childhood fucking heroes died recently and we didn't mention it so i'm just gonna say roger moore passed away and we didn't bring it up so, in addition to bringing it up, which I'm doing right now because I fucking love the guy, I had to watch Moonraker. Now, we're going to be doing some Bond episodes in the future, but I just don't know when the fuck we're going to ever get to this. So, I decided <laughs> I better watch Moonraker. And I just want to talk about it a little bit because it's the first Bond movie I ever saw. And it's also, I also decided to show it to my girlfriend's son, who's 12, and uh, see what he thought. Uh-huh. And um, I was, it, it's a movie that got me into Bond. 
I was blown away. It set the bar for Bond for me. Now, me saying Moonraker set the bar for Bond, I've already know I've got a ton of Bond fans out there like cringing. But um, <laughs> I fucking love this shit. And this movie was like everything I think of when I think of Bond. It's got Roger Moore being all smarmy. It's got comedy. It's got gadgets. It's got crazy ass stunts. It's got crazy-ass uh, foreign locales. It's got awesome Bond girls, including one named Kali Goodhead. Um, so this had like this was like the full package for me for Bond. And this is what I think of when I think of a Bond movie. So this is why I have trouble with like some of the Connery ones. I know, you know, I, I'm... They're too serious, it's right? It's blasphemy for me to say that. But when, <laughs> you, when you're a 70s kid that grew up with Roger Moore, this is what I want to see. And Moonraker was kind of like the epitome of cheesiness and craziness of Bond films. And um, yeah, so I decided to revisit it. I'm just going to interject for a second. Um, I've been watching these movies for these episodes. I'm still in Connery era. And I got to tell you, uh, judging from what Josh has told me about the Moore era... I'm looking so forward to that because you I'm not really me. I'm not really enjoying the Connery era that much to be honest. So again, Vince is sort of glazed over right now, but No, I, I'm not. I'm I listening. Just didn't know if, I didn't know if you actually I was I was wondering how this was going to go over with you because I didn't know if you had watched the Bond films. But this yes. one to me, like again, cuz it was my first one, um like it really sold me on more and it's it seems like Con- um, blonde people are either connery or more like you don't hear too many people going oh yeah i'm into dalton or, or Pierce oh, yeah, Brosnan. Brosnan, <laughs> yeah. Bond. it's always connery or more and i think it's because of the first one that you see yeah i agree um because actually a lot of what you were talking about brought brought many nostalgic memories back to me and in fact i wasn't actually glazing over what i was doing is i was really <laughs> trying to think about what was the first bond i saw in the theater and I know it wasn't Moonraker, yeah. um, but it was in the Roger Moore era. But within that era, it was somewhere either I saw a retrospective screening. Like, so, uh, what did they call that in the day when the Dolphin would show old, older movies from oh, a couple right. years yeah. ago? Yeah. It, it wasn't retrospective, but it was um, like first run or second run. Second yeah. run. Uh, so, so they were showing uh, For Your Eyes Only nice. at, uh, right around the same era of Octopussy and um uh the thunderball remake uh never say never yeah, again yeah. so a lot of the theatrical bond i saw like that that was right then and there like so never say never again octopussy and for your eyes only within a certain period of time and then right after all that of course a uh, view to a kill came in Which i know it was also pretty ridiculous it, it was a super i think that was more ridiculous than moonraker to be honest <laughs> wow Christopher Walken with blonde hair and Grace Jones. Uh, and Tandy Roberts. And Dolph Lundgren. Uh, what? <laughs> Dolph, whoa, whoa, whoa. Dolph Lundgren's in A View to I a Kill. I can't fucking wait for View to a Kill. <laughs> I can't wait for View to a Kill. I know, dude. I'm just... I'm just <laughs> so, uh, so in actual fact, no, I was not glazing over. I was really trying to remember which one of those films was the first one that I saw. I know it wasn't Moonraker, but because of that time period, and also VHS was just starting to break into the market at that time. So, of course, all the studios were putting their biggest hits in. The first things you could rent on VHS were Poltergeist, Raiders of the Lost Ark, and a bunch of fucking James Bond movies. Yeah. So, 
you know, my, my mom's ex-husband would, would always have us over and, and be renting movies. He always had the latest gadgets. He was one of the gadget guys <laughs> of the early 80s. So he had the, v, the, the VCR that cost him like, you know, 1200 fucking dollars. He had like a, a, a cabinet <laughs> full, loader, full, full of VHS tapes <laughs> that, that he had dubbed from, from renting at the, the video store. The video store, which was right across the street from him. And so we saw a lot of those James Bonds there as well. We saw, you know, um, a lot of the earlier Roger Moore, uh, Man, Man with the Golden Gun, uh, Spy Who Loved Me, which is which was another one that I that actually I really liked. Uh, and and because we saw a lot of those in a really condensed period of time, it's only now that I'm really actually sorting out finally the scenes that go with w- which film. <laughs> because I'm like, oh, the spy who loved me—that's the one where the car blows up when somebody tries to break into it. Well, no, it's not. It's actually for your eyes only. <laughs> so you know, I like I saw so many in such a such a condensed period of time. Plus, all those James Bond films were just starting to show on television. And once my mom found out that me and my brother were into James Bond, she's like, oh, there's a. James James Bond movie on TV. So then you start watching the old Connery ones like Diamonds Are Forever yeah. and Dr. No and From Russia with Love. And and all these scenes are actually pretty similar. It's like, you know, they get he gets into peril and all this stuff. And, and um, it's suspenseful when you're nine years old. It's really <laughs> suspenseful. And that's where, where that not nostalgia really takes a uh, takes a foothold in, in, in your mind. It's because you, you remember like just being so enthralled with, with the where where the, these these adventures of James Bonds. So uh yeah, anyway my point being like no I wasn't glazing <laughs> over. I was really just th- I was really actually thinking about it. But I, I also rewatched uh Moonraker lately. Um and I, I, I really have a soft spot for that film. I really do. I, I like it quite a bit, to yeah. be honest. <laughs> Dude's in outer space. So the thing is, like, the, the one thing I was trying to, like, um, you know, communicate with, with the 12-year-old is that, you know, just back in the day, like, these were, like, real stunts. Yeah. <laughs> and also, like, the production design in this, Ken Adam, I've talked to one of I talked to one of them in the last episode you were on when I was talking about Salon Kitty. Yeah. It's one of my favorite production designers, and he did Dr. Strangelove, and he does all those, like, really, you know, giant, giant rooms with, yeah. like, a little, a little, like, desk in the middle and stuff, like, really cool production design. And he was back for this one. He did a whole bunch of Bond films. But back to the stunts, you know, I was trying to trying to explain like how these were real stunts and how there's no CGI and like these are real stuntmen doing real shit. And like there's a there's a scene at the beginning of Moonraker, and I don't know if you did, again first Bond scene I ever saw was Moon uh, Bond being on a, he's on an airplane at the very beginning of the movie, and of course the return of a character that's beloved amongst Bond fans named Jaws, yeah, um, is also on the airplane, and and Bond's basically thrown out of the airplane without a parachute, and then Jaws jumps after him. This fucking scene. So I did some deep digging about this scene afterwards because it's just, it's a pretty crazy scene because it's 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 obviously it's clearly they're really doing it right. Yeah. So this scene apparently when they shot this scene, every time they did a jump, they can only shoot like three or four seconds of footage. So it took them 86 jumps to shoot this scene. Holy shit. So just to put into perspective, right right now, like nowadays, you do the scene like this, you'll fucking, someone, they'll do it on a, on a green screen and someone will dink around with a computer for 10 months. But this was the real deal, man. And this is what I love about Bond movies in particular, because the stunts in Bond movies are just crazy. 
and um you know this had a lot of a lot of really cool scenes this, another memorable one was there was a scene at rio de janeiro atop some gondolas and they're yes. having a fight jaws yeah. and bond and again they're fighting on top of the fucking gondolas yeah. that go up to sugar mountain in rio de janeiro crazy stuff um this also has um yeah they do go into space um and it's it's you know it's it's ridiculous but it's funny and it's crazy and this is this is like what i think of when i think of a bond movie lois childs who played holly goodhead i also, really like her actually yeah she went on to be uh the uh thanks for the ride lady yeah, thanks uh, for the lady, lady. and uh yeah. creep, creep show too yeah that's right um it also had kareen clary um she was in uh, she's a french actress um she was in um uh, sorry, Story of O, and she was also in a movie with um, David Hess and Franco Nero called Hitchhike. Yeah, that's like uh, that worth film checking too. out. Um, yeah, this this just sort of had it all with Bond. So I just uh, I just wanted to give a shout out to Roger Moore because in addition to Bond, I mean he was he was always a fun actor. I, I loved him in Cannonball Run, as did Chris. Um, yeah, he was in a movie yeah, called For Folks that was pretty good. I, I know I said For Folks, but it's got two For Folks. <laughs> and uh, another one called Escape to Athena that I really enjoyed. So, And he was, of course, fucking Simon Templar in The Saint. Yeah. So Roger Moore was a great actor, and, and he seemed to really have a lot of fun with his career. And, uh, yeah, he, he, is, he is missed. So I just wanted to give a shout-out to Roger Moore because... And, and watch a movie in his in his memory. So yeah. there you go, nice. Moonraker. So um, how many movies is Jaws in? Jaws is in two movies. So first. it's Richard Keel, right? Yeah. yeah. And that's Ega, the caveman in the 1962 drive-in movie. He played the caveman who like kidnapped that a right? teenage but girl. But he's, he's non in uh, Superman. Yeah. In the Superman movie. No. Right? Yeah? Non. <laughs> non. <laughs> non. No, that's Jack O'Halloran. Are you talking about uh, Superman 2? Yeah. Oh, I thought that was Richard Keel. No, Jack O'Halloran. Oh, he's he's ego, though, man. He's ego. Huh. What movie are you talking Ega. about? Ega. It's called Ega? E-E-G-A-H with an exclamation point. Oh, Ega. 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 Yeah. Ega. <laughs> no. 1962 Arch Hall gem. Oh, fuck. About, <laughs> a, uh, about a caveman who, like, comes back in modern I, uh, yeah, time. Yeah, yeah, I know. Rockabilly, I know Rockabillion uh, kidnapping <laughs> teenage girls. Like all cavemen do, right? Well, you know, I've seen Cave Girl from 1985. I can say this happens. <laughs> what are we doing here? Apparently, it's my turn. Uh, <laughs> well, also, Vince has only had one beer, which is really odd. It, well, we have to we have to speed things up here. Apparently, he, he's so he's, uh, he's had one beer, but he's had those introspective looks like a motherfucker. But I've had two. He's had a lot of introspective looks tonight. I'm getting a little nervous. Yeah, don't be nervous. It's it's all good. Um, the 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 next film that I've seen recently. Uh, all my films are new are new watches. Like I haven't seen any of these films before. But number two um, that I saw, I rented it from a video store, and it was actually Ty West's new movie called In the Valley of Violence. Okay, I really want to see this. I really loved it. Now this is going to have a lot of aspects to it that people will just be completely annoyed by. I don't know why I was able to look past these things. I think that just lends. Um, a lot of credence to the writing of the film of the script. I think it, 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 um, it, it just shows that how engaging you can be with minimal resources, but the entire film takes place in a Western town. Like, you know, it's like back in the uh, good, the bad and the ugly days. In fact, the entire opening sequence is riffed from the good and the bad and the ugly opening sequence. So, oh. you know, so you know what you're in for right within the first few minutes. And, um, 
So Ethan Hawk rides into town with his horse and his dog. And there's no extras in this town. So <laughs> the only people in this town are people that are actually directly involved in pushing the plot forward. Uh, with very, very, very few and far between exceptions. Like there's two people here at the end of the movie or three girls here over, you know, oh, you know, 20, you know, 25, 35 minutes in. That's it. But otherwise it takes place in a town, quote unquote, that seems to be completely unpopulated. However, the people that do populate it, like, wow. So it's John Travolta who plays a one-legged aging sheriff who has this son-of-a-bitch son who just keeps getting into trouble. And because he keeps getting into trouble, keeps getting John Travolta's character into trouble, right? Um, but the whole entire thing is a revenge movie. And it is, again, this didn't take away for it. Um, from from it for me, uh, but it's basically the the in, entire idea of John Wick, but placed in in a western. However, the the period detail with it, um, and just just the the writing of it, the the engaging of it, John Travolta actually is amazing in it. Ethan Hawke is amazing in it, and all the semi unknown, or I guess you might call them B movie, or in certain cases TV movie actors in them uh, in, in the film, just all play it to the hilt. And I was so engaged with this thing. I didn't even, it was one of those films. I didn't even want to hit pause, you know, like I, like wow. I had, I had to go to the bathroom and I was just like, whatever. I'm just going to sit here and watch the whole thing. Up. I don't want to, well, I, I've never done that, but, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, I'm like, I'm weighing the, the, the pros and cons of getting up and pausing the film. I'm like, nah, I'm just going to keep going with this one. Um, so actually I really liked it. So I wanted to give a shout out to that, uh, for anybody that may have been, uh, maybe put off with, uh, the cover with now, you know, John Travolta in his career nowadays has gone beyond that the comeback stage and indie film stage and like gone into the he'll kind of do anything stage. But he's really good in this movie. Ethan Hawke, oh, same, same thing, really good in the movie. And it, it just and I, I actually think that the film itself benefited from being so small and kind of contained. So in a weird way, the town itself became kind of this a little bit of a claustrophobic maze by the time the end gunfight was going on, um, simply because of the way they'd set it up. But realistically, if you're watching it, if, you, if you're out to watch a film to like pull apart any kind of plot holes or inconsistencies of like what, what might happen if it was real life, then this is, this is actually not the film for you. But if, but if you are in there for some gunfights and some great revenge scenarios and some really gritty Western storytelling, um, then that then this is the film for you. Yeah, that, I think. that's generally Ty West though. His uh, movies yeah. are all kind of very small scale and very condensed with the area that it takes place in. Like, absolutely. So I mean, it, it fits with this thing. I mean, it, I want to see it just because I want to see him doing something other than gothic y kind yeah, of horror. horror. So, yeah. and you know, I'm I'm really big into westerns, and this has been on my radar. So no, then mean, I think, like, see somebody like you, I think it would. You would totally love it. Okay. You're right. Yeah. Into Westerns. You're into Ty West's career. You're familiar with some of his work from before. 
it's not going to disappoint. And I don't think Travolta's gone down that uh, that shit slide as much as like Nicolas Cage has oh, or no, someone like I, that. Absolutely, so. he has not. Yeah. I agree with you. But but some people are still and and I know this this it's true. Some people are still put off. They see him on the cover and they're like, oh, okay, you know that's that's maybe enough now. But I am one but, of those uh, people. But Just actually, so you know. he, he 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 did really well in. He's this no film. Eric Roberts. Drug. I was kind of done after the the uh, Punisher with him, but uh, oh. Right. Right, I've I, I like that one with, actually. Uh, I've had a, I know I love the Punisher, but I've had a hard time with Travolta. And as far as Ty West goes, <laughs> I've uh, had a hard time with him too. I didn't like House of the Devil when I first saw it. I haven't seen the Sacrament yet. Did you? Do you like House of the Devil now? I, I bought it again. I bought it because I want to rewatch it. But okay. I, I do think it's one I will like. I really want to like it. Yeah. But um, the first viewing, it might have been one of these cases, and I have. I have a bit of a track record with this where if I watch a movie too late and I'm not fully engaged, yeah. it can really wreck the experience for me. And I think that's might have been what happened with House of the Devil. I'm not entirely a Ty West fan. In fact, the only movie I'd seen of his before this was House of the Devil. So I've only seen House of the Devil. I saw it four or five years ago, and then I saw this film. That, so that's where this okay. perspective is coming from. And did you like House of the Devil? I actually did. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I mean, it was it was slow, but I thought he I thought he did a really great job. I, I wasn't put off by the slow pacing of it. Yeah, normally I'm not, but it just yeah. I think it might have been a case of overhyped. Like I just heard everyone was talking about it at the time. Yeah. So I just was thought it was going to be something way more epic than it was. But I definitely want to read. This I, I and think, then I want to check this one out. I think that's the the overhyped thing is what did it follows for me. So I I understand what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. All right, so I will move on to a movie that you have talked about recently Uh that I watched. Uh, I checked out 2012 Citadel because they were uh, taking it down off of uh, Netflix. Mm. Uh, And I actually watched it the day before they took it down because I was like, oh, shit. He said that was coming down. I better watch it. (laughs) So this is written and directed by Siren Foy. I'm pretty sure I butchered that name. Um, Siren Foy. It's Irish. <laughs> so, so I'm going to butcher the main actor's name even worse. Anarin Barnard, I think his name is. Um, so his name, he, he's a guy. No corrections here. He's a, he's a guy called Tommy who, like Josh said, the opening scene in this movie is pretty fucking amazing because it's, you know, him and his wife live, him and his pregnant wife live in this like tenement. They're finally leaving this. Candyman tenement. Yeah, it's like oh, a really okay. run down <laughs> tenement. They're going to leave. He goes downstairs and realizes he's forgot something. So he has to come back up in the elevator. It's one of those old school elevators with the window in the door. Yeah. So he's, and, you know, and, and they kind of yeah. established earlier this elevator is a piece of shit and doesn't work properly. So he comes up and he's like looking at her through the window, kind of like waving like, oh, I forgot something. Right. And, and he sees these like hooded kids start heading towards her and attack her. And he can't, you know, get out of the elevator because it's malfunctioning. So this scene's amazing because I really enjoyed this scene. I'm like, okay, if this is what I'm in for, this is going to be great. Um, so from there, it kind of leads to, you know, he gets out of the tenement. His wife's kind of in a coma. He has the newborn baby, and he's scared to go outside because he thinks he's going to get reattacked. And from here, it kind of ramps up to his paranoia and being afraid of these hooded kids that he sees all around. And from there, the story kind of goes more in a horror bent. And the problem I have with this movie is that horror bent. Mm. Hmm. So the first half of this movie where he's like, you know, 
the attack scene and him just being afraid to leave the house. Like it's a big production for him to get ready to like, you know, get psyched up to leave the house and put the baby in the stroller and go to his support group and talk about why he's afraid to go out. All that stuff I thought was great. Like I thought that stuff was really well done. And I'm, it gave me a really good idea of who this Tommy character was. And, you know, and they made him look like he was a beaten down person. Like, you know, he had the bags under his eyes from not sleeping. He just looked terrible. His performance is fantastic. Yeah. And I was like, okay, I, this is, I'm really digging this. But then they introduced this priest character. Yeah, yeah. And they introduced his kind of orphan blind kid who's hanging out with the priest. Yeah. And this is what derailed this movie for me. Yeah. And I don't know if you can speak to that, if that did anything for you in that sense either. Well, I think that, the, uh, like you said, like up till we get to the priest, like just the this portrayal of agoraphobia from yeah. this actor, it was yeah. unlike anything. I like I was really, time. really into it. I was like, okay. And I was scared. Like I was yeah. really feeling the fear. Like it was mm. really coming through the screen yeah. at me. Like I was like, okay, this this Tommy character, man. Like I haven't experienced something like that in my lifetime about being afraid, so afraid. And I'm like, yeah. and he sells it so yeah. well in this movie, right? But then. I think because the framework of this movie needed a little bit of a push forward by the writer-director. They're like, we're going to take it into this horror territory and we're going to kind of, you know, we're trying to push the character in a new direction that works, but for me, it did not work. Okay. And um, it's like I said, I I don't know if this is a spoiler at all, but I'm going to mention it. Um, There's a moment where he has to go back to the tenement and face off against his, you know, his fears, these villains. And he has to take this blind kid with him. And there's just this scene in the movie where the, the blind child is like leading him saying, stick with me. They can't smell my fear. And I'm like, this is fucking bullshit. I'm like, this does not work for me one bit. I'm like, Uh, I'm like, it's unfortunate because I'm digging the movie so much in the first half. Right. And the second half just flounders and becomes kind of like a standard, like I'm in a dark apartment being attacked from all sides. Am I going to live? And Mm -hmm. I was just like, I'm not really, I'm kind of disappointed in the second half. And, you know, and the finale I found was a little weak, but you know, there are some plot threads I didn't enjoy. There was a plot thread involving some fungus that I didn't really dig. There was, you know, it, it, it could have been so much more than it was. Yeah. Like, it's one of those movies, like you talked about Autopsy of Jane Doe, yeah. where you're like, and you've talked about yeah, other movies yeah, yeah, in the yeah. past where the first hour or so, you're like, I'm so fucking into this movie. And then it does a right-hand turn, yeah. and you're like, not so quite into this anymore. And that's what Citadel was for me. And I, I can recommend it on the sense that if you watch that first half, you're going to get something out of that. It's yeah. pretty intense. Um Barnard gives a really, really, really super performance, and I think that alone makes it worth watching. And it's only like 84 minutes, so, you know, I'm willing to forgive some of that second half, but unfortunately, it was just too much, and I I was a little bit disappointed coming out of it. Yeah, I mean, it's a really strong debut, and I really understand what you're saying with the whole, like, blind kid and the follow me through the monsters thing. Yeah, that was bullshit. But um, I did like the monsters. I thought they were really cool because I'm, I'm not a big fan of killer kid movies. Yeah. And I thought these ones were really creepy. Like, I likened them to the... Um, Vince will know what I'm talking on in Phenomena. You know, that yeah. kid in Phenomena. Like, I yes. kind of like that guy. Yeah. I likened them um, more to the on. brood. Yeah. yeah, or the brood. Yeah, yeah. there was a heavy, yeah, 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 heavy brood yeah. influence here. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I also... I mean, I think it was a pretty strong directorial debut. A lot of great imagery and stuff, but... 
It was his fucking first movie. I mean, yeah. you know, you got to give him a little like, slack. And- I, I did give him a little slack. Like, that first yeah. part and just the part of, like, the tenements and the burned out England Yeah, that's in the movie was really great. Like, there's a scene in it where, you know, the bus driver's like, he shows up. He's like, this is my only trip through here. So if you miss the bus, you're out of fucking luck, basically, yeah. because we don't bring buses down here because it's so bad down here. But it's just introducing those extraneous extra characters that I was like, if you would have had this where he was kind of just still dealing with his agoraphobia and just being so scared and having to deal with like a home invasion situation with these kids, yeah. mm. I would have loved it a lot more than I did. I'm not saying that it's not worth seeing. Because definitely, if you're if you want to see a strong, independent, low budget debut, this has its merits. But just be aware that in the second half, it's going to shift gears, and you might not like it. Like there's some people who might, but I was just not on that fence. Vince, have you seen Sid at all? No. Yeah, that's maybe worth checking out. But uh, yeah, just I will check it buyer out. Buyer beware. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so I'm going to talk about a movie I did fucking love, and I'm sure you guys love too, and it's a movie called The Car. I fucking love <laughs> The Car. You're damn straight I love The Car. So, I've actually never seen one it. Particu- there's, uh, there's one particular no. scene of The Car that makes me love it. Which scene? The, the scene in the car. Scene. Oh, man. It's the living room, actually. Oh, is it the living room? So The Car is a movie from 1977. Dude, <laughs> buy the shit, Vince. Fuck, seriously. you know what this movie is this is jaws with wheels (laughs) isn't that the tagline should be no you're thinking jaws with claws which is grisly but but it is is jaws on wheels for sure so directed by elliot silverstein uh, who's really only his main movie that he's known for is a man called horse with uh, richard harris okay yeah i know that um, i know that movie they made a sequel to that too i think yeah so any movie that opens with a quote from Anton LaVey kind of has me. Um, Anton LaVey was the founder of the, the Church of Satan, and I didn't remember this happening. <laughs> the Satanic um, Bibles, man. <laughs> so yeah, it opens with a quote from Anton LaVey from Sir for some reason. Well, actually, I know the reason why. It's because Anton LaVey was a fucking technical advisor on this film for some reason. He was a big fucking shyster, too. <laughs> Like, seriously. Yeah, I used to own the Satanic Bible. I had it too, just out of curiosity, I gotta admit. But I also had the Anarchist Cookbook, so fuck me. <laughs> yeah. So this is the kind of movie that we kind of yearn for these days, because gone are the days of a fucking horror movie starting, people getting wasted, and you have no idea what the motivation is. <laughs> it's just this thing shows up, just like Michael Myers or Jason, and you don't know why. Only to you don't care why. <laughs> it's just running people over with that fucking ah, 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 horn, and you don't care why, and you're not even living going, I wonder if that car was abused when he was a child or anything like that. Dude, you're just like, fuck that yeah. That awesome. He's in the factory, and people are like, you fucking car, fucking beat no, you. you're shit. like, that car car is bitching and he's running people down especially this fucking french horn playing hippie motherfucker i was so happy french when he horn playing oh he's playing his french horn and the it's, fucking car it's too bad it wasn't a saxophone well it was pretty much horns a horn
porn in my book, brother. And that car just came and ran over that motherfucker, and I was so happy. And then we also have some cyclists. This is before then. The cyclists are riding along, and you're like, I recognize that chick from like some soap opera. And sure enough, she gets fucking run over and falls off a cliff. So like, I guess, uh, I guess she won't be fucking on the next episode. Fuck. Exactly. And I remember just, I just remember the scene. I remember a lot of scenes from this movie from when I was a child. Another, this was one that really kind of scarred me when I was a kid. But I just remember that bike scene. But I remember the shot. It was like this like wheel and then like a bloody shoe. Sure enough, that shot was exactly like I remember it. Totally stuck with me. We also have R.G. Armstrong in this. And R.G. Oh, Armstrong yep. was a great 70s character actor. Damn right. But it's so many cool things. Creep show. Yeah, creep show. He was in Lone Wolf McQuaid. He was in The Beast Within. But he was just kind of like a rednecky, and he's like a wife beater in this. But he is so good in this, <laughs> so convincing as like this total asshole. We've also got the man James Brolin in this, yeah. Um, from of course from Westworld, and now married to Barbara Streisand. Oh, poor guy. But um, <laughs> but back then, man, Bar- uh, Brolin, man, he was like the fucking man. Like Barbara his, was the man. No, Brolin was the man. He had his beard, That's and right. he didn't wear a shirt, he's and he so was fucking macho, and he was he? a fuck. He was so macho, dude. Like, this is what I kind of aspired to. That's why they had him at the end of Pee Wee. Yeah. (laughs) I aspired to James Brolin in the 70s, but I kind of failed. Um, We also have, like, John Marley's in this. John Marley. Okay, I just want to talk about John Marley, because this guy always gets a raw deal. Like, he was... Okay, John Marley, if you don't know who he is, he was the guy in The Godfather that had the horse head in the bed. Oh, yes. <laughs> and then yeah, he's... Yeah, never yeah. seen and then it. the poor bastard's in, like, oh. Death Dream, you know? Like, with the... Yeah, the dad. You know, Here's the dad. Awesome. I know he, Death Dream's awesome. He's the dad in, poor, in yeah. Death Dream, right? But poor yeah. John Marley. Like, and then this one, he's a cop, and he gets fucking... Guess what happens? <laughs> <laughs> horse head in the bed? What? Horse no. Ronnie Cox also shows up in this playing an alcoholic and he's really great. also in the beast within also in the beast within you're right and robocop um shit you ruined one of my underrated 80s picks no i actually think beast within is in one of my underrated 80s okay, picks. Anyways, don't spoil it well switching that now <laughs> um this has a lot of really great scenes in it i mean it's got the the two the two i mentioned it's also got a, a scene where um <laughs> this is ridiculous where there's um there's supposed to be like a route like a, a rehearsal for a parade going on but of course the car's that parade. The car's driving around running over everyone, so they're like, We better cancel the parade, but drunk Ronnie Cox forgets to do we that. Cancel the fucking parade. <laughs> so they're they're doing the rehearsal and there's horses and children and then the car comes and then they all like they all like run into a graveyard, but the car can't get in because it's hollowed ground. And it's just yeah, like the car's well, like uh, how did they figure that out? Well, they ran into the graveyard, I guess, for Dude, safety. It's like the car's like right. a vampire, man. And then the car... We need safety. Let's run into the graveyard. They did. <laughs> I guess because there was a wall around the graveyard. But they get into <laughs> the graveyard. of the demons. Come on. <laughs> they went in there to party, not not for safety. Yeah, but they <laughs> the demons. They can't cross over the water stream around the graveyard. You know what but saying? it's not hallowed ground in Return of the Living Dead. Anyway, I digress. Um, so they get into the graveyard and then the car can't get in, so it's all mad. It's outside honking. It's like spinning around in circles. It's mad. It's a mad car. Jeez, I wouldn't like even go somewhere else. It's like donuts like we did when we were kids. Yeah. 
So there was there was that whole scene. Um, Come on, man. yeah, it's it's really, and then the whole ending sequence is just I I I'm not even gonna talk about it because it's so great. Um, we also have Kim and Kyle Richards in this movie, child actors from the seventies. Kim, who grew up to be hot in Tough Turf, and, and also, then who grew also up to ate be a nice ice cream cone in Assault on Precinct. 13. Oh yeah, and then grew up to be a real housewife of Beverly Hills. Um, and then we also have, um, yeah, I mean, everything about this movie was really fun. There was some scenes where the car's really silent, where the, you know, and I, I just felt like relying on that, like where James Rowland's like trying to deal with the car and it's just sort of sitting there in front of him and he doesn't know what's going to happen. thought it really brought up a lot of suspense. The car just looks so fucking cool. <laughs> and like the fact that Guillermo del Toro actually made the car for himself and drives around in fucking LA in the car is so cool and um, the, the car was also designed by George Barris who uh, also d- uh, designed the Batmobile and Dragula from the Munsters yeah, and stuff yeah, yeah. so it's a really iconic car and Vince man you gotta see this shit okay, can I, I tell do. you something Vince of course you know you know why you have to see this movie because Josh just talking about it has given me a raging boner <laughs> <laughs> we yeah. all have to see this movie now. It was a lot of fun. I was really excited to uh, pick this up. I actually bought it when Anchor Bay put it out, and I never watched it. But then Scream Factory recently put it out, and yeah. I because uh, you can get it on uh, Blu-ray now. Oh yeah, for a reasonable price too. Yeah. And it is it is really great if you're a fan of like killer vehicle movies or cool cars or fucking James Brolin. <laughs> you gotta check this shit. Or seventies wood paneled living rooms <laughs> <laughs> with cars going through the fucking. Wind. Window, yeah. <laughs> then you check this movie out. <laughs> right, I've already had three beers and I'm swearing way too much. Right. So but anyway, that was the car. You are, man. I'm I'm a little bit offended over here. You you know, all the all this swearing, all the swearing and, and I was car excited, talk, man. All I this car talk. Where did this all come from? <laughs> my, Jesus my next movie is going to have a little bit of swearing in it, but let's let you oh, go yeah, first. You wait for some I'm not going to swear at all. <laughs> Bullshit. Oh, that sounds like a challenge. Yeah. My next movie that I saw. Also from the video store uh, is called uh, Nocturnal Animals. Okay, I've read the book, okay, but I haven't yeah. seen the movie. Oh, I, actually, I didn't read the book. I knew it was based on a book. It's a Tom Ford movie. Yeah, uh, Amy Adams and Jake Gyllenhaal, and it is one of like uh, in a way related to In the Valley of Violence, only in the aspect that this is also a revenge movie. But this is such a quiet revenge movie that the revenge scenario is actually going to take you by surprise is so subdued and quiet that that being said the subdued and quiet part is counterpointed by amy adams reading a book so amy adams reads an unpublished novel that her ex-husband has sent her saying i've been working on this i just really wanted to think see what you think about it and he dedicates it to her she takes the next couple of nights. She reads it in bed. And as she's reading it, this the all the scenarios are filmed. Michael Shannon is in the film scenarios of this revenge movie. And Michael Shannon is the man. Michael Shannon is fucking intense. I don't know him from a lot. I know him from, like, Man of Steel. No, he was... Uh, oh, come on. Uh, the uh, Premium Rush... Uh, uh, shelter, uh, <laughs> premium the young like, ones, like the the 
the like courier movie yeah it's yeah fucking badass really yeah you guys have both seen pre yeah. rush yeah wow it's a good movie actually. it's a pretty it is pretty <laughs> it's good. like the quicksilver of the like 2000s dude, dude it is pretty good <laughs> really it's the quicksilver of the 2000s but with michael shannon as a fucking corrupt crazy psychotic cop <laughs> and of course oh he, he, made, he made his debut in a william friedkin film well not really his debut his debut is actually he was the nice kid um where bill murray talked him and his wife and is staying together in Groundhog Day, so he he's he's in the end dancing to Groundhog Day like, hey man, there's, thanks. Dude, you there's know? no more fucking dancing in Michael thanks. Shannon's career after that movie. No, there's not. There's it's, it's, it's all ass kicking concrete. Yeah, and and you know teeth pulling out and people dying dude, and shit Shannon's like that. Fucking, wow. Okay. Yeah, cool, but but cool but dude. but after that, Mike, Michael Shannon like really really got to start in a William Friedkin movie called Bug that starred him and Ashley Judd. Which is actually okay. that's a, that is that's an amazing a movie. movie. It's an amazing movie, yeah. but yeah, it's a little bit intense. Yeah. Uh, and you Michael Shannon no, has not seen. stopped being intense since then. I, I guess that's that, his I don't thing. think that guy's got like a, a, an off switch because I like to no. watch this uh, this thing on YouTube that Amoeba Records in LA does, where they like get a celebrity and let them loose in the store and and oh, then yeah, they show them. Show, yeah, yeah. Show them what What's they bought, bag? and Michael Shannon does it. And even when Michael Shannon's doing the what is What's in my bag, and he's talking about stuff he loves, I'm like, that guy's gonna kill some fucking people. Yeah, like seriously, the guy's too bad. I only know him from Matt Steele. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, check it no, out. No, watch some of his stuff. It's it's actually yeah, Man of Steel is it, it, it's his most light performance <laughs> for real. Yeah, the rest of the stuff is... But it's he's fantastic. He's a fantastic actor. Uh, anyway, a super quiet revenge movie with Amy Adams, Jake Gyllenhaal. Um, and it's really dark. Yeah. And the, the darkness of the content is presented in such a... I, I actually want to say in such a beautiful way. Like, it's a piece of art. It's, it's actually a piece of art. Um, you won't believe, you know, you start watching this movie and what you're actually watching in the first few minutes of the movies as the credits are rolling around is a bunch of fat women jumping around, dancing around in slow motion as the front credits roll. And then it gets weird. <laughs> That's like in the first few minutes, you know, and, and, and then it just gets weird from there. So, so Vince is like, thank goodness for pause. <laughs> I didn't need to pause it. They were going in slow motion. <laughs> but you were not. Oh. <laughs> Man. So anyway, this is this is exactly why I tend to forget how this many times I've been on the This is why he wants, to, the, uh, he wants to come on here all the time. <laughs> It's not so much I wasn't invited as I, uh, yeah, I'll get back to you. <laughs> <laughs> no, I kid. So anyway, that that's the next. Uh, all, all the films I'm going to be talking about on, on this part of the uh, podcast actually are going to be recommendations. I actually only listed the stuff that I recently saw but actually liked. So I'm See, talking we, about stuff that I actually like. We liked. don't do that. <laughs> I yeah, I know that. Everything I've talked dude, to, what I've liked. Dude, uh, should I should I do yeah. a, a car style recommendation next? Do you think? Yeah, do that. You think I should do that? You know what movie I watched? Car. No, dude. <laughs> I watched 1989's Blind Fury, motherfuckers. That's a good movie. Okay. Oh my god. <laughs> Let me talk Rutger about Rutger Hauer. Right. <laughs> this is this is Rutger Hauer at his peak, apart from the Hitcher. 
And maybe Blade Runner. But uh, <laughs> I'm just going to say, what, <laughs> what about Wanted Dead or Alive? <laughs> so this is a movie inspired by the Satoshi films. This is Rucker Howard playing a guy who's in Vietnam. He gets, like, shelled in Vietnam and, and loses his vision. He's trained by the villagers to be proficient with a samurai sword. Comes back to America to visit his buddy who was in the war with him, played by Terry O'Quinn from The Stepfather and Lost, and ends up having to... You know, taking Terry O'Quinn's son because the mother gets killed by mobsters and going for revenge and to save his buddy from these Las Vegas thugs who just want to, like, use Terry O'Quinn to make this super designer drug. But they weren't expecting a blind dude to show up with a samurai sword in his cane and chop the fuck out of everybody. No, <laughs> let me tell you, this is the American debut for, for Australian director Philip Noyce, who a year before made this really amazing thriller on a boat called dead calm with billy zane and sam neill and nicole kidman great fucking movie if you've never seen dead calm watch it right now <laughs> what <laughs> what are you talking about <laughs> <laughs> I'm not, actually not 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 kidding <laughs> yeah, let's talk about, okay keep going. is this on your underrated <laughs> list anyway so the thing about this movie is that the reason this works so well is if you've seen a Satoshi movie, you know they're amazing. This is an Americanization, so it's obviously not quite on the level as that. But this is like 86 minutes of pure, like, this is like a canon movie made by a big studio in a way. You know, Rucker Hauer's pretty freaking engaging. Like, there's a scene early on in the movie where he, like, he's in this bar and he's like, the, the redneck guys are messing with like, oh, you want some hot sauce on your burrito? And he like, they shake the whole fucking jar of hot sauce on his burrito. And he like eats, he's like, you can tell he's like bursting up. He's like, oh, it's good. It's good. And then he just pretends to be a bumbling blind guy and like trips and hits him in the head with his cane and then beats the living shit out of him. And nice. The, the thing about this movie is like, I didn't really care for the little kid character in it. It's, uh, I can't remember what the kid's acting name is. Uh, Brandon Call, who was also in, uh, Last Action Hero, I believe. He was the kid in The Last Action Hero, that Arnold Schwarzenegger movie. Yeah. And uh, he's not very good because he's always picking on Riker Howard's blind character. Like He's like, oh, the bus driver gave me some candy. Here, eat this candy. And it's a fucking rock he picked up off the ground. So he makes the blind guy eat a oh, fucking he's rock because he's, he's one of those yeah. dickhead kids, right? Eventually, he learns to love Riker Howard, though, just okay. so you know. Okay. Uncle, Uncle Mick, Uncle Mick, Uncle... You know, that, that kind of stuff. But you see, what makes this movie amazing is the action set pieces, you know, because he's being chased by this Las Vegas thug guy's henchman. One of them is Randall Tex Cobb, who's this big fucking former yeah. footballer who's like, you, you'll know him if you see him. He's always chomping a cigar and he's got this beard. He's this big fucking dude. He has this scene in um, he's in like Pee Wee's Big Adventure. Yeah, I know. I he's know. in Back yeah, yeah. to yeah. He's in all these other great movies and he has this scene where he's cha they're chasing him through this cornfield. Wait, did you just try and like make us place him by mentioning Back to the Beach? Fuck yeah, I did. Okay, well, it all makes sense. I love, ba <laughs> I love Back to the Beach. Fuck you. Anyway, so they're, so they're, going, th they're going through the cornfield and they're chasing him and you know, they'll be like, they'll be like standing on both sides and, and Rucker Howard being you know, he's got that super sense of hearing and he'll step up between them and he'll tap his cane together and they'll turn around and shoot each other and shit like that. They'll have the kid in the, in the shack. He'll come out and cut the beam on the, on the shack. So it collapses and Randall Tex Cobb through the whole movie. is just like, I'm going to get that motherfucker. Right. Basically. And he's so damn good in this movie. But, uh, in the end, guess who shows up to fight in a big samurai sword battle? 
Shokazoo. My man, Shokazoo. Oh, hell yeah. Great scene where they're fighting and Shokazugi's swinging over a fucking hot tub on the electrical wires and fucking storm fighting. This is a great fucking movie, I gotta tell you. And, uh, you know, it's inspired. It's 86 minutes. You're not gonna see a Hollywood movie from the 80s that's got samurai action in it. Highly recommended this movie. You can, Highly recommended. You can pick this up on Blu-ray in a triple feature with the Chuck Norris movie Silent Rage and the John Michael Vincent movie White Line Fever. If you need to do that, you need to pause the podcast right now. Go on fucking Amazon, pay the ten dollars, and buy that motherfucker. Yeah, because yeah. those are good movies. <laughs> I think it's worth buying. Like, just, there's no reason not to buy that triple feature. Yeah. No, Blind Fury alone makes that worth ten dollars. Any of those movies alone makes it worth the ten dollars. That's gotta, true, like, actually. Yeah. 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 I've never seen Silent Rage, but that's the one where it's Chuck versus the serial killer. Yeah. Serial killer zombie. That's thing. Yeah. Me up. So I'm yeah. down. Yeah, but but, but have you guys seen White Line Fever? Oh, yeah. no, I haven't seen it yet. Because actually, that's really good too. But it plays a little bit more like a it's drama. A, it's Jonathan Demi, right? Uh, oh, actually, I don't remember. I think it is. To be honest. But it's a truck driving uh, road revenge type yeah. of movie. So people get killed on the roads like they do in those, you know, th- those road movies from the 70s, you know, duel, that sort yeah. of thing. Uh, but but to, be, to be perfectly frank, I think that they recreated that a little bit better later in um, the Kurt Russell movie Breakdown. Versus Where's my wife? Yeah, versus White Line <laughs> Fever. I think Breakdown was more successful if that the stunts were actually a bit better in okay, the yeah. Kurt Russell movie. Yeah. You know, but uh, but the, White Line Fever is still good. Yeah. The it's last thing. Michael Vincent, of course, it's good. Well, yeah. <laughs> the last thing I want to talk about, Blind Fury, is if you've ever wanted to see an action movie where the finale takes place on a snowy ski resort and there's some action in a gondola and there's samurai swords and Shokazugi. Wait, wait isn't, isn't, watch isn't this a now. James Bond movie? <laughs> watch. Watch now. Watch. Or get a James Bond movie. <laughs> no, 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 no. Watch Blind Fury 2 as well. All right. So I'm going to get Vince excited now. You, you got me excited with no, the I'm car. I'm going to get you really excited. Oh, my goodness. I don't think I can handle so, this. <laughs> every once in a while, I watch a movie, and I'm just... You know when you watch these movies, and you're just and like... And you think Vince? No, you're like, oh, I definitely thought Vince on this one. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah, yeah we, all, we both do that, you know. It's because Vince... Since you've been okay, on. So every t- once in a while, you watch a movie, and it's like you're watching the movie, and during the movie, I'm like... I'm going to have to watch this fucking movie again to really understand what the hell's going on. Oh, I get where you're going now. It's Inception, isn't it? So I'm watching it, and I'm like, I don't know if I'm really that into this, but I know, I'm pretty sure if I watch this again, I'm going to really like it. And the reason, Vince, I know you're going to know what I'm talking about is because Vince gave me this movie. (laughs) Okay. And it's called The Perfume of the Lady in Black. Yes, I like that movie a lot. I knew you would, brother. So this is a movie from 1974. It's an Italian movie. Directed by Francesco Barelli. Um, it's kind with of Mimsy mar- Farmer. Yes, with Mimsy Farmer. <laughs> kind of marketed as a giallo, but I did not feel this was a giallo at all. This is my. This is a kind of a descent into madness movie. Kind of like I. I, I was thinking more it's, like it's a drunk giallo walking on a fence. I, is what I it is. I wasn't getting giallo <laughs> at all. But maybe again, I do need to watch this again. I was thinking more like Repulsion or something like yeah, that. Yeah, I could see that. I like, could see that. But but I think that this is a film that throws in so much stuff. It it blurs those genre lines. Yeah, this is one of these movies where I'm just watching the movie. <laughs> Movie and I'm just it's just sort of 
meandering along and like Mimsy Farmers there looking super hot and in her blonde way and um it just you know you know she sees like a figure in a chair and she's like oh there's a figure in a chair but there's not really a figure <laughs> Is that in a what chair she actually says? oh there's somebody in my apartment there's nobody in your apartment there's somebody chasing me there's nobody chasing you <laughs> it, it's it, the whole fucking thing is like that yeah i'm feeling really weird but, but it's mimsy farmer yeah so mimsy so farmer. you keep watching <laughs> yeah i mean if you guys don't know who mimsy farmer is if you're shame fan, on you if, if you're a fan of italian movies you're gonna know her from like Four Flies on Grey Velvet, yeah. The Black Cat by uh, Lucio Fulci, Fulci. Um, Autopsy. So she's been around. She's but, been- but she's also in uh, a couple of early uh, Barbe uh, Schroeder films from France. Uh, she was in the film more i think it was she played the a Pink floyd uh, movie yeah. yeah uh yeah well yeah, it's was. not it's not really they did the soundtrack yeah, yeah, yeah. it's a shorter film um she she um she played a drug addict there and she was the star of the film also she starred in a very very little known film i, I and here's i'm going to bring up some trivia right now but she starred in a very little known film with rita hayworth in rita hayworth's last ever screen performance called the road to selena and Quentin Tarantino referenced this at the end of Kill Bill when Uma Thurman comes up to Michael Parks at the very end and is like, I'm looking for fucking Bill. Where is he? And he's like, well, you take the road to Selena. Uh, it references that film. Wow. But Mimsy Farmer actually. And, and that is one of her key performances. Yet it has never been released on any kind of hard copy media post VHS. Interesting. And what makes Mimsy Farmer, I was, because I was looking into her a bit too, and even weirder about her is she is now a sculptor. Oh, I didn't know that. And so she's a sculptor, like, so she's an artist now, but she's also doing, she's also sculpting for like major films. So she did sculptures for like Clash or the Wrath of the Titans, like that. Oh. Well, yeah. And Guardians of the Galaxy. Like some of the stuff oh, she's, she's right up, in there then. It's, yeah. I was like, I, I couldn't even believe that it was. Uh, I'm like, this must be another Mimsy Farmer. Nope. It's the same Mimsy Farmer. Oh. So that's well, good she, for her. She switched careers and she's now a really successful sculptor for movies. And I think actually in her, in, in her early career uh, as an actress, I think she was also very successful because. Um, you know, I mean, not only was she engaging and I think was able to create like a minor cult following, like, you know, she yeah. has with myself and, and yourself, but, um, it, but, but I, her performances were, were really, really good. They were, they were just so engaging. They were, they were slightly over the top, but not too over the top, just enough to keep you noticing her yes. the whole time. Well, I mean, that, that was the thing about this movie. I think of anything in this movie, it was her I was following. You know, if, if, if it was another actress, I don't know if I would have been as engaged. I agree. But I was... She, yeah, yeah. For, for that film in particular that you're reviewing right now, yeah, I, the success was because that she was the one in it. She was the one as the lead actress in it. And actually, I feel the same way about The Black Cat, Lucio Fulci's film. <laughs> for, for real. You know, like, yeah. I, I don't think another actress could have done that. Exactly. And, uh, you know, you, you sort of, I, I definitely want to watch this movie again because I do think I'm going to get more out of it on a second viewing. It really does go a little crazy as the movie progresses. Like, I was, like, pretty much, like, sitting there with my mouth open at the end because I uh, couldn't believe what was happening. 
Um, there's, you know, it's, it's got a lot of really, again, really great production design, really great, like the filmmaking in this movie is quite, quite fantastic. Yeah. Um, a lot of use of mirrors, I noticed. Um, that, that's kind of typical for Giallo sometimes yes. as well, but. Yeah. Um, another little uh, tidbit is there was a child actor in this movie who's playing the, like the young version of Mimsy Farmer, who I also thought was quite engaging. And then I realized it was, um, uh, an actress named Laura Wendell who went on to, um, she was in, um, a 10 ombre. She was the, uh, woman that gets uh, chased around by the Dobermans. Yeah. She was still, um, quite young in that she, film. I think she was a teenager when she did in 10 ombre. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And then she was in ghost house. She was the star of ghost house. The Umberto. Lenzi oh my movie. God. I haven't seen that in ages, but I do have that scream factory double feature. I should revisit that. So oh my God. It's so fun. <laughs> but yeah, I, I mean, I, 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 but this is a movie that I, I did kind of, I do admit I did kind of struggle with this a bit. But I, I, it was one that I was really quite aware of the fact that I think if I watch it again in like a month or two, mm-hmm. it's gonna, I'm really gonna love this one. Um, and there are there are movies like that out there, um, but in the end, this is definitely one of them. And I, I, I mean, what are your thoughts? Have you seen this more than once, Vince? Uh, not yet. Um, but one of the reasons I, I gave it over to you was actually because I picked up um, one of the early Blu-ray releases when I was in Italy, and I'm looking forward to seeing that. Yeah. Um, I, I remember it being um, one of these types of... I, I'm, and you know what? I'm still going to call it a giallo, but one of these giallo that, that I consider sort of these kitchen sink type things where they throw in a lot of other things. Yeah. A phenomena is like that too. Yeah. But phenomena does stand out, whereas this one actually doesn't stand out like Argento's film stands out. Um, but yet this one still throws a lot of different things in madness, uh, the supernatural aspect, the devil aspect, um, that, that whole thing. And, and one of the key things for Giallo is actually the madness, that dual mentality, like are things happening or, or is it just in somebody's mind? And that coupled with the fact that Mimsy Farmer is playing the lead, like that kind of sealed it for me. So I'm just a fan of that film yeah but but yeah i do i also need to revisit that too desperately yeah i'm I'm only when i do it i'm it's going to be in hd so Mm. (laughs) i get vince's cast off that that was the perfume of the lady or the perfume of the lady in black that's right yeah yeah. uh okay so my turn i'm I'm just gonna flip my order around slightly because i do really want to talk about this movie um i saw it on netflix uh, an independent 70-minute black-and-white film called Darling, and it's still on Netflix, so anybody can watch this movie. Darling? Yeah. Wow. It was so great. It was so great. I've never even heard of it. Uh, I, I don't know how it even popped up for me on Netflix. I, I saw it when I was searching around one time, and I did that add-it-to-my-list thing. Have you heard of this? Nope. Nope. <laughs> um you know, it Great. was it was produced by Larry Fessenden uh, okay. two or three years ago. So it's, it, the, the movie's two or three years old. Uh, and when I saw it on Netflix, uh, I thought, okay, it's, it's an art house film shot in black and white, but not strictly shot in black and white in a classical sense because all the um, – they, they split it up into five – um, parts of the story, much like a lot of Tarantino films do, and and, and uh, Tarantino didn't even invent that. You know, he t- he took that from other people's films. But every time the titles come up for a split in story, the the, the titles themselves are in color. So the f- the whole film from start to finish isn't in, in black and white because you've got these color titles flashing up, but all the scenes put in are in black and white and. It seems like a film that was shot by a photographer. 
um, like a professional artistic photographer. They are just beautiful to look at. And and going back to the giallo style films like The Perfume and the Lady in Black, it's about a girl who comes to a New York, um, what are they called? A brownstone. Right. And she's caretaking the brownstone while the owners are away. The owner is Sean Young. So the oh. only star in this movie is wow. Sean Young, who has a scene at the beginning of the film and then the rest is voiceover because she keeps calling in to check in on the girl. And uh, so the girl is house sitting for this woman. There's a locked room at the back of the house that she's not allowed to go in that you can't get into um so that's a little i'll be honest with you that's a little bit frustrating because you're like wanting to see what the fuck is in this room but the whole thing itself is is really and you want to talk about films that are um you based on or echoed from repulsion this is the film like this 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 is this is the updated new york city version of Polensky's repulsion and it, it's amazing Dude, those are strong words my friend <laughs> oh it, I, I I stand by them wow, and and man. the girl that that plays the lead actress or sorry the lead character in the film the actress that plays the lead character in the film she also um, I, I think she was credited also as the executive producer so I don't I don't know what deal that was or if this was her idea but she was fucking phenomenal really phenomenal and you know I, I'm gonna tell you something. This has happened one or two times before where I saw a movie on Netflix and I liked it so much. I pulled out my computer. I'm like, I'm going to buy this fucking Blu-ray from Amazon. But in this instance, uh, you can't. It's not been released on Blu-ray. You can buy the DVD on Amazon. Hmm. But the only Blu-ray in existence is an Australian Blu-ray. That That's wow. it. So I, I, I don't know what happened with the release of this film. I don't know why people in international territories are not wanting to see this film or buy this film or put this film out. I, I don't know, but it's available here on Netflix. It's available on UK in the UK on DVD. It's a, it's available in Australia on Blu-ray and that's really about it. It's, it's, it's sort of a quiet release, but it is really good. It's called darling. Watch it on Netflix. Canadian Netflix. Yeah. Canadian Netflix. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. All right. <clears throat> Speaking of Netflix, I'm going to talk about an a indie movie that I watched on there from uh, this year. And it's a movie called Beyond the Gates. Oh, I haven't watched that yet, um, but I saw it was on there. So, <laughs> so okay. You didn't like it? I didn't like it. <laughs> let me just talk about this. I could, I could tell by the, by the inflection of your okays. <laughs> let, let me talk about this. So, nostalgia for me goes only so far. Mm. <laughs> Now, but I actually agree with you. The reason gonna, for this I, is, is I hear Josh Josh laughing, but but I actually I I agree with you a little bit, like because nostalgia is is a strong you know instigator. It's a strong engager. Yeah. Like okay, we are going to cater to you because we know we know what things you liked back in the day when you were renting at fucking video stores. Yeah. That appeals to me. Yeah, yeah. But like I agree with you that that. Only goes so far. So the reason I say this is because the basis of this movie is it's about two brothers who are kind of estranged, who are brought back together because their father who owned a video store has disappeared. So they end up at his video store to try and, you know, it's gone out of business. They're closing it down. They walk in this video store. The minute they walk in this video store, I'm like, holy fuck, I just came. Because it's wall-to-wall movies. Now, being a movie fan, I'm obviously going to be like, okay, you're hitting my nostalgia buttons right now. You're totally doing it. 
So from there, it kind of goes into like, this is an obvious love letter to the video store culture, which, you know, Josh and I have talked about in the past yeah. that we really, really miss. But it's also a love letter to those VHS board games back in the day, like Nightmare right. and things like yeah. that, right? Which so, Community actually um, parodied in one of their episodes. Do you, do you guys watch Community? I haven't seen... I'm on season two. Okay, they will get to a VHS board game show, oh, cool. which is actually really, really good. Yeah. It's really good. Well, I'm going on a tangent because we're talking about Community, but I just started watching Glow on Netflix with Allison Brie from Community. Awesome. And my God. <laughs> but anyway... Um, well, wait, wait. Was it because that was so good or because Allison no. looks so great? She gets naked three times in the first episode, dude. <laughs> <laughs> it's actually also a good show. It's actually a good show. Mark Maron, Mark Maron fucking kills it in that show. Yeah, I'm just saying. I agree. So um, Every time he's on the screen, Nikki turns to me and she's like, that's you. <laughs> so anyway, so, so what this is, the reason I'm saying that nostalgia only goes too far is because you've made a movie that's, you know, hitting the buttons with the VHS, like the video store culture, which, you know, we've all at this table can say we miss and we adored and all that. Miss dearly. It's actually. hitting the buttons with the, with the, you know, the VHS games because we all remember those things. We might not have played them, but we remember Nightmare. Oh, I, I still own two of them. Yeah, so, so it's, <laughs> it's hitting those buttons and we're like, okay, this might go somewhere. So what this is, is they find this game locked in the, de- in the office of the video store and it turns out to kind of be this gateway to hell. Which is hosted by Barbara Crampton as this like really like more black. nostalgia, right? <laughs> yeah, she's like this black eyed kind of host to this game, and she's just you know she's got the black makeup on her eyes, and she does those stares at them, and she's just like, "You need to find the keys to find your father." So it's basically them looking for these keys that'll unlock doors to hell to find their dad. So total Hellraiser inspiration here. We're talking total. Um, you know, Fulci, the beyond kind of resur- yeah. like, you know, inspiration. This is obvious when you're watching the movie that these are the inspirations. The problem is this movie does nothing. Oh, so this is such a low budget movie that all it is, is it meanders along for about an hour. There's not much going on. The three main characters just yap, 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 yap at each other. <laughs> Every once in a while, there's a little bit of a, a cool kind of gore, you know, gag once in a while, like, you know, one of the keys they have to like basically extract it from a guy's head. So they have to like stab him in the head and, you know, things like that. Like, okay, cool. Your gore is okay. But if you want to make a movie that's going to hit my nostalgia buttons, you want to deliver something that's like the nostalgia buttons you're hitting. When I went into video stores and I rented movies like The Brain and, you know, things like that, like ridiculous over-the-top gore fests or with silly stories, I was entertained. There was not people talking for fucking 45 minutes about pointless shit before you got down to business. And that's what my issue is with this movie. I do not at all discount the love the makers of this movie have for the same things we have, but I just feel like it's not tight enough to work as a feature-length movie. If this was a 20, 25-minute short, part of a VHS anthology or something along those lines, Mm -hmm. then perfect, I'm in. This is awesome. You know, Barbara Crampton's great as the host, even though she doesn't do much but stare at them. You know, and, and, you know, I love Barbara Crampton no matter what. We are still here, prove to us. Yeah last year that she's still relevant in the horror genre. Yeah. 
And you I, know, I mean, some of her best performances have been the recent ones. Like I still stand by. I, I think I mentioned this on one of the podcasts that we did earlier. Uh, we are still here, and and yeah. Barbara Crampton's performance in that to me is like I've I've never seen her better. No, like she she's amazing. Totally in that. agree with you. So that's the thing, though, is this this movie is just hindered by not only its budget level because it's one of those movies where it's obvious low budget. Which can work in some aspects for certain movies. Like, I'm sure the movie you just mentioned was super low budget, too. But it worked for that aesthetic that that movie's trying to deliver. Mm -hmm. Whereas with this movie, where it's trying to be like a fun throwback kind of gore fest, it doesn't work particularly. Because, you know, you're setting it in a house, great. But you're setting it in a house, two rooms in the house. You're setting it in an old video store. But you're not delivering anything but talk. And that's an issue for me. Yeah, yeah, I um, agree because because totally, because, yeah. because none of those movies back then actually did that. Like the yeah. ones that were direct to VHS, even in the eighties, that yeah. that you could tell were shot on like Beta Cam. Yeah, they even they didn't do that. You know, they no. were trying. They like yeah, maybe they didn't. We weren't successful, but they tried. You know, like they were throwing something at you every five or ten minutes. That yeah, you know, is some key exploitation moment. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so so like. This movie just has such pacing issues that I was just like, I had a really hard time. And I know there's people out there who are really digging on this. But at the same time, there's people like me who are just like, I don't understand. And I was super excited to see this just because of that nostalgia factor. But like I said at the beginning, that only takes you so far. After that first 15 minutes where you've hit my nostalgia buttons with all the video store culture and all that stuff, you lose me. And you can't do that if you want this movie to be successful. Mm -hmm. And you lost me. And sorry, you didn't get me back. You can throw out some pretty decent gore gags. But if I'm kind of looking around being like i'm not really interested in this movie you're not gonna win me back no matter how much blood you sling at the screen it's just not gonna work yeah you know and you know i get that you love hellraiser and you love fulci and your mishmash of ideas does really feel like a fulci movie at times to me but it's you're not as talented as fulci in (laughs) delivering this so don't do it yeah you know i'm really i i do would like to see what these guys can come up with next. It's an interesting start in the sense of premise, but it just didn't work for me. So beyond the gates, proceed with caution, I think is what I'm going to say on that one. All right. What's a fucking bummer, man? Sorry, dude. <laughs> <laughs> I can't be like Vince and jizzing all over every movie I talk about. I was super excited for this. <laughs> if it's any consolation, Darren liked it. Yeah, all just right. just watch Darling on I, on Netflix instead. I, I can totally see where Chris is coming from on this. So so, fuck. Okay, I'll, I'll liven things up. I picked up a movie at Videomatica, a great video store in Vancouver here, um, called Act of Vengeance. Which, oh, um, Rape Squad. Yeah, Rape <laughs> Squad. I had this on um, VHS. You're welcome, Josh. Oh, yeah. Chris saw this in the... He wouldn't have the, seen it until I said, hey, Chris dude, saw this on the show. Wasn't so. this one of the, um, like, uh, sort of archive-style collections from... Yeah, MGM, yeah. Yeah. So... <laughs> So this is directed by Bob Kelgen. Um, he was, you might know him, he did the Count Yorga movies. Okay. Um, and he also did Scream, ba- Scream Blackula Scream. Oh, actually, I quite like that. <laughs> yeah, right? I mean, yeah. So we've got this woman who runs a, who she's a, she wears short shorts. 
she uh, rents a lunch wagon and she likes horses. So she's really cute and she goes to like hang out with her horses after her work at the lunch wagon. And, um, but then she gets attacked because everyone's left the horse stable by this guy who's dressed in an orange jumpsuit and a hockey mask. Yeah. So it's kind of like a, so, okay, just keep in mind, this is made in 1974. Okay. So it's a guy in an orange jumpsuit and a hockey mask. So it's like Michael Myers like, and Jason. But pre-Halloween and pre-Friday the 13th. Like way pre. It, almost, maybe, maybe, I'm, I'm at, now I'm here, I'm asking you, pre-Black uh, Christmas? I think Black Christmas came out year the same after. year. Was uh, it yeah. the same year? 1974 was Black Christmas. This was 1974 as well. Oh, I thought it was 75. You were just in the washroom. I was How would you even <laughs> fucking know that? Because I'm a nerd, remember? He quickly looked it up so, on the internet while he was in the washroom. So as we nerd out, yeah, this was the same Damn, Christmas whatever. as <laughs> fucking Black <laughs> Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so the Michael Myers, Jason... Rip off. It was guy. one of those sweet. It was one of those sweet like dollar store hockey masks, though, wasn't it? Like where it was like super thin plastic with the like cheek holes and shit. Yeah, it was. It was an awkward looking hockey mask, but I, of course I still thought of Jason. Well, anyway, of course, you're he, going to. He starts like assaulting her and like he rapes her. I'm not gonna cut corners here. Well, and, it's ultimate and, title is rape, and he makes her fucking sing Jingle Bells. That like, is as fucking awesome. Her. So it's pretty messed up. <laughs> Sorry, so, I didn't mean it was awesome that yeah, she was that being was really creepy bells. the way you just said that, dude. <laughs> I didn't mean it that way. So anyway, you know, then then she goes to the police station and it's got like asshole cops like like questioning her basically in front of the whole squad room. Then she goes and gets like um, so this is I'm, I'm only pointing this out just because because it kind of it is pretty offensive at the beginning because and I think it's kind of meant to be because then she goes to get a. Um, she goes to get an, uh, an exam done by the doctor and the, you know, that's all being done. And the doctor's just like, well, he didn't ejaculate, so it's not really a rape type thing. You know, kind of like the fucking Republican government whoa, of today. Whoa, uh, yeah, whoa. so it's kind of like that. Um, anyway, she then uh, she's then brought to a, a, a group and it's all a bunch of other rape victims that have been raped by the same Jingle Bell rapist guy. Is that and, they actually dub him? Well, no, I don't think they dub, dub him that, but he makes Josh Dudman that he makes every one of them sing Jingle Bells as he's doing this. At any rate, I, I wasn't fucking buying this because I wanted to see rape. I wanted to see rape revenge, and that's what we get. Okay. So basically, the group that um, are formed in the the support group uh, is is is. Um, Why do you laugh when you said? <laughs> No, I wasn't laughing. I mean, I mean, it's, it's you're like support group with your fingers. Well, just because the support group basically be, they be, they get together and decide they're going to go they after. Basi- they basically want to kill men. So it's not. It's, no. it, it was quote unquote support, no. nor and, and and not so much quote unquote revenge. No, they're not going to kill men. They decide that they're going to like do something about this because the fucking yeah, police, that's re- that's revenge. Oh, police, uh, uh, no, ven, ven, no. Ven, uh, they're not doing it. Vigil- vigilantism. Oh, fuck, shut up, everyone. <laughs> uh, they decide they're going to do something about it by forming a group that's going to um, do something that the police cannot do. Rape men. So, 
Hmm? Nothing going on. No. So they're gonna they form a group that so people, so women can call in if they've if they've been assaulted. They can have someone that will go to the police station with them and and be with them while the shit happens. Okay. So they're not alone while they're being fucking interrogated. And they also decide they're going to try and figure out who this Jingle Bell Killer is. So they're actually setting up community support for they, victims. They set up a like helpline. They they go with the victims down to the police Did station. Did not see where that this film was going to be going this exactly. way. Exactly. Well, okay. That seems really odd considering what you said earlier. Now that being said, they do go the way you guys are thinking that they're going to go, and they do, do decide to fully go after the Jingle Bell Killer. But um, like. What they do is they um they end up teaming up with this woman who runs a martial arts studio, who's fucking awesome. Um, I can't remember but her name is uh, uh actually her name is um actually fuck I don't know what her name is Christine Lindbergh from Thriller. No, it's not Christine Lindbergh from <laughs> okay. Thriller. But um she um she's this karate expert, so she's trying to train them how to do karate. But pretty much what happens is if one of them is up in a boat and they see some shit going down, they'll call in their friends. And then they like come down in their Volkswagen van with this oh, like so so actually this is more of a death wish thing where it's not, where where um the idea of the revenge is not so much on the perpetrator of the original crime but like let's stop this shit from happening exactly in that's, the future yeah that's why okay, it's called so, rape squad it's so, not called- so so is that it's actually more of a of a female uh, de- death wish squad kind of yeah like sort, it's, sort it's, of thing yeah like it's not like called rape squad because it's a bunch of guys going around raping women. It's called Rape Squad because it's about it's a bunch of women that are going around, and if they hear about some shit going down, like a rape or abuse, then they're going after them. And that's not connected to the original crime, right? That that was the catalyst for the whole film, right? Correct. I mean, yeah. now the women that got together were connected to the original crime because they all got raped by the Jingle Bell guy, right? We, we, which is a really weird scenario for a film. We, uh, and and one of the things that I like about seventy film. 70s films actually is that a lot of the catharsis comes from something that that actually ends up being unrelated well related in theme but unrelated directly to those things that happened at the beginning of the film i think that dirty harry was actually the movie that changed that where where the catharsis was directly related to what was going on in the film like you're the one that fucking did this so i'm gonna shoot you in the head and throw my badge in the water you know but before then you know like you have these other other films that that are more of that style it's like this shitty fucking thing happened to me i want to stop this from happening to me again i want to stop this from happening to other people and these victims kind of um come together or of their own accord as in death wish uh take it upon himself just to just to go about and do and because because in death wish i mean the the person that that uh, raped and killed his wife and raped his daughter like never they never he he, he, he never fucking came across that guy again ever yeah. you jeff know goldblum you fucker yeah <laughs> <laughs> fucking jeff goldblum <laughs> but yeah you're right i mean that's the big difference here is i mean this market is an exploitation movie which it is i'm not gonna lie but the, the fact is is that these women get together to form this this group and yeah a lot of the stuff that goes on in this movies is them fucking up shit unrelated to the jingle bell guy so there's a scene where um they find out like this woman comes comes to them and says you know this 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 club owner that i i've been at he's been real he's been a real prick to me and he's like basically date raping women so they go to the club and they pretend that they're one of them pretends that she's like into the guy so she goes back to his house and then of course 
one thing leads to another and he's like pushing himself on her and then in busts the rape squad and with the karate chick in full karate uniform and she kicks the shit out of him and then they smash the shit out of his house mm. and another scene there's like this um this pimp like beating the shit out of this hooker and again one of the women is nearby so she runs over to a phone booth and calls them and off they come in their vw vw bus and jump out and again karate chick like kicks the shit out of the pimp so it is it is really really kind of cool that way. I thought it was kind of a neat neat movie that way. And then um of course the finale they do have to confront the the Jingle Bell guy. So that that happens. But 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 that 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 sort of converse to um that's actually converse to what I was talking about where like in Death Wish Charles Bronson never gets to confront and that's um the yeah the, the, the killer that or killer rapist that 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 He's fallen, well, you know, his family's fallen victim too. Um, and in a weird way, I, I, I actually prefer those, those films of the seventies where it, it's, it's not about who it is you think that's coming after you. Um, uh, the, the, there's the RV thriller with, uh, Peter Fonda and Loretta Swit. Yeah. That, that's exactly the same type of idea where it's not a person like the catalyst is a person. Right, yeah. the, the the catalyst that starts that whole thriller off is because of a person or, or a certain small group of people, you know, four or five people. You think it is, uh, and then and then it blows into something that it's it, like you you don't get any catharsis from it, like like nothing. You you have no catharsis from that thing. And in a weird way, some of the cop thrillers, like which is why I also like Dirty Mary, Crazy Larry. It's because the cop is not the fucking bad guy. It's it's about the establishment being the bad guy, and the reason the establishment is the bad guy is because they themselves are disorganized. Um, they're, they're following rules that they themselves don't really understand. They're just following rules because they're quote unquote rules. Well, we're supposed to follow those rules, so right. Uh, so we're going to follow them because they're rules. And and it's about what happens to people that don't follow the rules, which is usually like a. Um, a sad ending to be honest yeah uh, you know when it when it comes to that and there's really no catharsis with those films and i think that that's what i love about 70s films and that's also where there was a major critic and i uh, i would say his or her name if i remembered it i just simply don't remember it but when star wars came out um this critic was famous for saying well finally movies are fun again because um star wars came out in 1977 post all of this stuff and yeah they're right it's not that movies weren't fun because movies are always fun to go to but what i think what that critic meant was that there was really no catharsis in a lot of those movies um post vietnam uh, produced films and pre-star wars films you know so the, the those films really were intentionally leaving out those catharsis moments because there was there was no catharsis in fucking Vietnam. Like yeah. like here, you know, you're building everything up. Like it was really a a such a brutal satire, satirical concept on America, where here you're building everything up to like rah rah rah, fuck yeah, USA, let's go in there and kick some ass. And it's like you didn't kick ass. Like you got your not not that you got your ass kicked, but it was just so like holy fuck. There's so many more sides to this than anybody ever thought. Uh, and I think a lot of those films reflected that. It's just like wow, like there's just so many more sides to this. Like the the, the cops and the authorities aren't actually like all fucking bad guys. Um, like the the the. the 
the, the, the fucking antiheroes aren't like really super good guys. Like they're kind of fucking brutal too. But everybody's just trying to make their way in this all this shit, and and nothing really comes to a catharsis. And then Star Wars turned that around. And, and to be honest with you, if, since 1977 or 1978, Hollywood's never fucking looked back. They're like, yay, catharsis, summer fucking blockbuster and yeah, let's go yeah. anyway uh yeah rape squad holy <laughs> fuck man <laughs> i think we should just end right here <laughs> i don't even know how to follow that up <laughs> well um so there was yeah i mean well i i get where he's going i i get where vince is going with this and um you know i think the difference here is that yes there is that catharsis at the end because they do they do end up confront, confronting right. the guy, right? But but um, I'm not going to give anything away. It is kind of bittersweet, right? So in, in typical '70s fashion, right? Like it's not like it just fucking ends. Like, but it's one but of those again, ones that just ends. That like, that like I'm envisioning that is again like that post Vietnam thing. Like yeah, you shoot quote unquote the bad guy. That's not really cathartic right you know yeah, like, like you're like you're like wondering like you're you watch the movie and you're like you see what happens and um don't i can um you see what happens and then you're just like yeah well what the fuck happens now right yeah and it's not necessarily a good thing yeah but um at any rate i i did i did like this movie i mean this movie does have a bit of a reputation i mean what happened? What happened with the release of this movie? Is it was I can't remember who it was. I I can't remember who the oh it was American International AIP. So they they <laughs> they were originally going to release this under the title Rape Squad. Then they chickened out because they were like that title's way too controversial. So they changed the title to Act yeah, of Vengeance. Who knows what Squad means? And then that. Act of Vengeance kind of kind of tanked. So then they re-released it under the title Rape Squad again as an exploitation movie. But I think this movie just... But when you bought it, it was under Act of Vengeance, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Well, it is really... I mean, it's a pretty controversial title. I mean, even nowadays, right? Obviously. Mm -hmm. But I mean, I thought it was was pretty good. I mean, if you're a fan of, you know, rape revenge type movies or 70s action or exploitation or any of those types of movies, it's not bad. I mean, I did feel like it was a little bit TV movie-ish at times. Um, I thought it could have been, you know, if it was in the hands of a, of a, you know, I mean, I, I think Bob Kelgen was an okay director, but I mean, I think in the hands of a, like a Friedkin or something, this could have been a lot different. This Mm. could have been a lot harsher than it was. I felt like, yeah, it was harsh. I mean, the subject matter, of course, but I never felt like it really went over the edge in crazy harshness. I thought it was almost a bit comic booky at times, especially in that scene with the pimp and the scene with the club owner. Um, and the scene, and then you've got a guy making chicks sing jingle bells. Of course, it's a little yeah. cartoonish. Well, and even right? the guy's, even the guy's outfit seems too comic bookish to me. His yeah, but I mean his outfit. We got to remember that that outfit was way before Jason or Michael Myers, right? Neither of those guys existed, so. Maybe comic bookish, but also, you know, probably a pretty good idea for an outfit. <laughs> you know, I mean, a hockey mask, I mean, there's a pretty good idea. Like, you can't yeah. identify the guy. But, uh, I mean, everybody knows that legend from actually, like, from Friday the 13th, that there was, like, a Canadian um, costume designer or set designer on the set that had suggested that. On Friday the 13th? Yeah. Oh. Like, like that, And then that happened to become iconic. Oh, okay. Af- after the fact. 
I wasn't aware of that, actually. Really? I didn't know where that came from. Oh, yeah. 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 Something that was working on the set, and this was in the U.S., but the guy was from Canada, and I can't remember if it was a costume designer, set designer, or art deck uh, employee, Um, but he was a hockey fan. He's like, well, just put a fucking goalie mask on this guy. (laughs) (laughs) So, that yeah, that's like the Canadian, like... Heritage claim to fame with uh, Friday the (laughs) 13th. So just a few things on some of the actors in this movie. Um, Joanne Harris, who plays the lead, the lead woman who uh, the the opening victim and the one who sort of starts the whole thing. Uh, She was famous for seducing Eastwood in a movie called the the soon to be remade uh, Beguiled, Hmm. um, which is a pretty great movie. Um, We also had um, uh, Annika, Annika DeLorenzo. Um, she's quite famous. She she just she had a set a bit part in this movie as kind of the final woman that uh, that leads them to you know being able to get after the Jingle Bells guy. Um, she's most famous for being one of the penthouse pets that was in Caligula. Mm. Um, and uh, of course we have um, Connie Strickland. She was in Black Samson, and she was she was in this as well. But uh, yeah, I really. Oh, and sorry. Last but not least, my favorite member of the Rape Squad was really. Uh, she was quite a really quite outspoken in the movie, and there was one scene in particular that I really loved, where she was putting up posters for their their group, and a couple of guys were like catcalling her, and she just fucking lays into them, and it's pretty awesome. But she's played by Jennifer Lee Pryor, who uh, ended up marrying Richard Pryor twice. Oh. Um, but yeah, she was great. And she didn't really do a lot more, but I, I thought she really st- uh, stood out in this movie. But uh, yeah, nice. there you go. It's called Act of Vengeance. It's I think it's Warner Archive, one of those MGM, MGM archives. But yeah, yeah, it was a good little pickup. Anyway, are we doing uh, one more round? Yeah, I've got one more left. Got okay, one more, one more round. Do you have one more left too? Oh uh, yeah, I got I got one more left, and this one might surprise you as well. Uh, female prisoner scorpion. 701. Oh, I've never seen it. <laughs> yeah, I only saw it for my first time, actually. Nico Kaji, man. Uh, you know what? I knew really nothing about this film uh, going into it. And so, so I mean, obviously, this is a women in prison film. This is a Japanese women in prison film. Uh, there's a lot of violence. There's a lot of exploitation uh, elements in it. Uh, but... They seem to have a firm grasp on keeping the whole thing comic book style all the way through, which actually I really liked. You know, er- everything was out there, but th- there's some brutality with uh, with the lead characters, with the lead female characters as they as they get in there. And I mean, the story is super simple. Um, uh, this female character, she get, she's involved romantically with a cop who sets her up to be like this quote-unquote undercover uh, operative but in actual fact he's just setting her up to take the fall for, for because he's corrupt on some drug deal okay. so so she gets blamed for this drug deal gets sent to prison and then all the prisoners she she's the victim in this sort of bully squad of what's going on with prisoners but she's very intelligent um, but the way she applies her intelligence is is in an almost slapstick way of getting back at these prisoners. You know, she's setting up like these elaborate gags that where they either get you know stabbed or severely injured or or in you know in the bad books of the of the warden that's going on, and the warden uh, himself. Uh, 
in a midway point to the film, this is not actually giving anything away, but he, he actually gets stabbed in the eye with a piece of glass and spends the, the, the next half of the film with only one eye. <laughs> and, and, you know, it's, and that's where you really, really realize what you're watching here. Because at first you're like, am I watching a film that's trying to be serious, but is just like not really understanding how to deliver these serious aspects to us as, a, as an audience? But when he gets stabbed in the eye and he just stands there, screaming like oh oh my god you just fucking stabbed my eye out <laughs> um you're like oh okay now i know what i'm watching here. <laughs> i'm just thinking story of ricky is all <laughs> yeah. I can think of it's it's much like that you know I, I think a lot of that's just extended from these types of things okay you know really really is so so it's cartoony in a in a in a little way um in that regard however um, cartoony in a way that a film is very uh, professionally presented, like you would call creep show. Okay, right. Yeah. So creep show based on EC Comics, presented in a cartoony way, but completely professionally presented in that in, on that platform. This is the same thing. So it's professionally presented on that platform, like wow. highly pro- professionally. You know, like a- everything's fantastic about it. All the production values, everything's fucking fantastic about it. And in fact, some of the, the some of the production values uh, rival some of uh, Kurosawa's later work in the 1970s. For real, 100. percent Like you watch Kurosawa's uh, Den and some of the things he was experimenting with uh, in, in terms of photography with that film, the Female Prisoner Scorpion 701 has the, those same fucking stylistics in them, yeah. in, in this film. Um, and the fact that you realize you're watching something that's not to be taken 100% seriously um, actually just adds to... It, it actually elevates the movie and i can see why this is a highly regarded film in the women in prison sub genre yeah. um because because it's elevated because of these points so it's, it's it's actually like okay so it's the creep show of the women in prison genre <laughs> <laughs> well i've like recently established a huge love affair with the japanese crime movies of the 60s and 70s and I mean, I I haven't had a chance to see this yet. Did you pick up the Arrow? I did the yeah. Arrow box set. Yeah, yeah. And I, and I only watched the first film so far from it. Yeah, like Arrow is putting out all this crazy, awesome stuff in that in this genre. Not only women in prison, but just in yeah. crime films in general from Japan that are like every one I've seen has been like fucking awesome. <laughs> so I'm super excited to watch these. Miko Kaji, who plays the lead in this is uh, probably my favorite actress that I've been watching out of that era. She was also Lady Snowblood. Who was I was the, wondering yeah. about that, actually, because I, it had been a while since I watched Lady Snowblood, and I actually thought that that was the same actress, but I didn't yeah. want to say that. It's I wasn't sure. Actor, yeah. okay. so she, that's the major inspiration for Kill Bill. She was also in a, another uh, another series of, of uh, movies called... Um, Delinquent Girl Boss. Well, del- uh, no, they were they were called something else. Oh, well, shit. there was a Pinky I, Violence movies. That was one there, of the movies. Tons of, right? Yeah, there's, there's, she's been in tons of stuff, and she's awesome. And, and I, I just think she's, she's so sexy and so cool at the same time. Mm-hmm. And I think that transcends in like every role. And she demure played. as well. Yeah, you know, as specifically in the uh, the Lady Snowblood movies. Yeah, you know, she just, she's got that that Japanese demure uh, aspect about her. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, and uh, yeah, that's right. 
Right on. Well, I'm, I'm super excited to check these out. Was that the second one in the series or the first one? The one that I saw? Yeah. I, I, I believe it was the original one. Okay, cool. Yeah. I'm just wondering what notes you guys passed in between yourselves that interrupted this whole thing. Sorry, I was just asking him a question that I didn't want to say on mic. But it's okay. It'll make sense. In a It'll make sense in a second. All right, fine. It's nothing about you, Vince. Don't worry. It's always about me. That's the thing. All right. Well, <laughs> I'm gonna end. I'm gonna end my run with uh, another movie that they were taking off Netflix that I noticed was coming down, and I was curious about, and that's 2014's Big Game. This is a. F- <laughs> I don't know that one. <laughs> we're like. Uh, this is a Finnish movie. It's the most expensive Finnish movie ever made, apparently. Was there a big game in it? It's uh, <laughs> just hold, hold your, hold, cool your jets there, big boy. Jesus Christ, cool, I'm getting ahead of things here. Cool okay. down, big rig. Gear down, big rig. So this is uh, directed by Jam- Jamari Halander, who directed Rare Exports, which is a oh, pretty like fun little film. flick about um, Christmas a demon Santa, where they yeah. kidnap a demon Santa. It's a very good family Christmas film. This is generally a throwback to those like kid adventure movies you used to watch in the 80s. So the reason it's called The Game is because... It's a Finnish rite of passage where a a boy on his 13th birthday is sent out into the woods to kill something, like to hunt, and bring back what he's hunted, and that makes him into a man. So it's a rite of passage movie that way. So they they send the kid out into the Finnish wilderness. At the same time... The American president, played by Samuel L. Jackson, is flying. Oh, it, is flying. Fuck it, off. It, <laughs> flying. I always wanted to do a list of movies of all the American actors that actually played the American president. So, so he's flying over uh, Paxton. <laughs> he's flying by. Fin- he's flying by Finland. He gets. Assaulted by terrorists, crashes his plane, has to jump out in the escape pod, ends up in the woods. It's saved by this 13-year-old, and then they have to traverse through the woods while being chased by bad guys. Okay. So this is basically Samuel Jackson being a little pussy and yelled, doing his usual... You yes, know, I deserve you, to you, die, and you, I hope you're burning hell. That kind of shit. You know you just said Samuel L. Jackson... Being a little pussy. He was being a pussy in this movie. I'm sorry. On a podcast. He, he was. <laughs> he even does his typical line where something happens like, oh, hell no. You know, he does that. So he hooks up with this. He, <laughs> Sam Jackson, please note Chris does not live I, here. <laughs> I, I just would be so afraid of saying that sort of thing on sorry, a public, Sam, I really, public podcast. I, I, you know, you had the best scene in Deep Blue I, sea, I wouldn't even call so him Sam. I'd be like that. Sir Samuel. <laughs> Sir Samuel. But anyway, his character is a pussy in this movie. Okay? So he's like... That's really a good point. Like, you just called Sam Jackson a pussy. No, his character. <laughs> his character is a pussy. <laughs> anyway, anyway, shut the fuck up. Anyway, it's fucking jewels, man. So, so basically, what mm-hmm. this is is it's a thirteen-year-old Finnish boy who is trying to get the acceptance of his father. Doesn't think he can do this hunt. He ends up saving the president and having to escort the president to safety while being chased by terrorists. This leads to a bunch of over-the-top CG-assisted action sequences. As they're being chased down by a bunch of mercenaries led by Ray Stevenson, who's an FBI gone rogue. 
And uh, at the same time, there's a room full of American people in a control room going, oh, my God, how are we going to save the president? Let's get the satellite locked onto him. This is where the cast comes in because this is like all these people in the command room like Felicity Huffman, Jim Broadbent, Ted Levine. They're all just sitting in this room going, where's the Navy SEALs? When are they coming? When are we going to save the president? What's going on? So that's kind of stupid, yeah. admittedly. But, you know, I'm like, okay, you need name recognition in your movie. It's a silly action adventure I movie. I really want to see this. It, it, it's you. It sounds up. like White House Down. It's a it's a it's a silly action adventure movie aimed at ten. I to also four. saw White House Down. It's oh, it's yeah. aimed at ten to fourteen year old boys. Okay, so there's ridiculous action in this. There's like helicopters being shot down. There's Samuel Jackson and the kid riding down, riding down a hill in a inside of a friggin' chest freezer to avoid gunshots. There's scenes like that. You know, the movie is ridiculous. It's silly. It's kind of a throwback to the action movies we watched in the eighties, like Red Dawn and Ruskies and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, I'm thinking of those like a kid in peril movies of the eighties, like. Cloak and Dagger or Daryl. Similar, similar in a way, too. But, I mean, the movie does look great. It's got these finished landscapes. There's a lot of shots of them, like, standing on top of the mountains while the camera goes around them and shows you the landscape. That's great. That looks good. The CG isn't as cloying as I usually find it in these movies. Like, you know, there's stuff exploding left, right, and center. And, you know, the action sequences are actually pretty good. Because the kid is, like... He's, he knows he's not a hunter. There's scenes of him trying to shoot his bow and arrow and the arrow just like hitting the ground and the bad guy's laughing at him. But it's all about him coming of age while Samuel Jackson just cowers in a corner like, oh, help me, 13-year-old boy. So it's not great, yeah. but it's kind of fun. Sounds all right. It's yeah. kind of fun. And I'm sorry, Sam. I don't mean you're a pussy. I mean your character's a pussy. <laughs> because apparently Vince and Josh think you're going to kick my ass, even though I don't think you're going to waste your time. I'm pretty sure he is. I'm, I don't think you're going to waste your time coming up to Vancouver, B.C. to find out. So, tell them where you live. Where, where's your address, Chris? <laughs> I don't think you're going to spend your time coming to Vancouver, B.C. and blah, 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 to find a guy. One, two, three, fake street. Who does, <laughs> who does this podcast, Okay. Big Game is a pretty fun movie. It's nothing special, but it's an entertaining 90 minutes. That's that. All right. I got two things to say. Sam, if you want to defend your honor. One, two, three, fake street. Get in touch with us. You're welcome to be a guest. Yes. Please come on and say to me that I'm a motherfucker and that you need to get these motherfucking snakes off the motherfucking plane. And second, how was White House down, dude? About the same. Oh, okay. I liked it. It was lots of action. Um, it's one it, of those movies it, it had all the, enough. Okay, okay. This this is why Hollywood still makes movies. I'm going to tell you right now. <laughs> because they have got this fucking thing down. Set up, payoff. Yeah. And White House Down has that in spades. Everything is set up in the first half, and it all fucking pays off in the second half. I'm super stoked to see it. Kill me you know, now. I'm a Channing Tatum fan, whatever. You know what? It, it, well, what's great about that is at the very last moment, I, and I'm just going to say, at the very last moment, he takes a back seat to the heroism, and that's actually what makes the film a little bit winning. Nice. You know, it's a good, it, it, it's a good action movie. If, if you like Roland Emmerich shit, it's great. It's fucking great. Wicked. Fucking great. <laughs> I won't say that about Big Game, but it is an entertaining 90 minutes. Oh, by the way, Sam Jackson is not in that. It's... Jamie Foxx. There you go. Put your brain in check for Big Game and White House Down, <laughs> and you'll be okay. 
<laughs> and Channing Tatum. Uh, yeah, well, and hopefully, if for Josh's sake, he takes his shirt off a couple I times. Fucking, <laughs> I think Channing Tatum. I good don't think he actually him. does, but you know, you know what else I like? I enjoyed uh, him in Channing Tatum. Tatum in is uh, oh another Soderbergh film, not yeah. not that one. Um, fuck the one with the <sighs> Magic Mike. Nope. Uh, Haywire. Haywire, where he was setting up the female oh, yeah, agent. Yeah. I didn't really right at the beginning. I didn't really there. like that movie that much, but I like. You should scene. rewatch that movie because I think you would change your mind. Mm. Channing Tatum like fucking totally breaks the stereotype of a guy like Channing Tatum. I think he's really. I good. think that's exactly that's why we need to have a group viewing. A fucking step up, man. <laughs> I'm not going to go that far. Uh, step up as Josh calls I'm it. Totally not going to go that far. Josh's Josh's calling of step up. Step up is the breaking of the 2000s. Okay, I got I, I, I got I got one question before we wrap this up. Most embarrassing film you love? Go, Chris. Fuck. Ninja Three: The Domination. Maybe not P- Police Academy Five. No, I didn't like Police Academy Five. Remember? Jesus. Christ. Okay, so Ninja 3, the dumb. Maybe. That's your most embarrassing one? Well, maybe. Come on, you can do better. No, we'll come no. back to you. Okay, okay, I got one. I okay, got go. one. Playing for Keeps, 1986, directed by Harvey Weinstein. Plucky kids starting a rock hotel with Marissa Tomei. Fucking terrible, but fucking awesome. That's pretty embarrassing. Okay, yeah. Josh. It's, it's pretty obvious. I love it to the grave. Fucking showgirls. Yep. Yeah, but that's got a cult following now. You're, you're like kind of embarrassing, cool, embarrassing now. Is it cool? Embarrassing? Yeah, it's cool, embarrassing. Oh, I don't know. Yeah, okay, man. Okay, well, come on. I know. Now, now I can't answer my own fucking question. I was just curious about you guys. <laughs> <laughs> um, Jesus Christ. Okay, I'm gonna say, I'm I'm gonna have to say I got two in my collection that I would never really actually show anybody. Be kind, rewind. And I love that movie. It's my cousin Vinny. No, they're both good movies. Those are fine. <sighs> okay, embarrassing. What's embarrassing about my cousin Vinny? Well, I don't know. It just, it, it just doesn't funny seem that like both a persona. Movies, it's, it's, like, it's like anti-persona. It's funny kind that of both thing, of them right? have Marissa Tomei in their mind and yours. Oh, rare. Rare. I love Marissa Tomei. <laughs> all right. I love all Marissa Tomei movies, all right. <laughs> including A Different World. That was a movie, right? Okay, let, let's get this show. One. Let's get this show off the road and fall <laughs> okay. and finish with. Stop talking. Finish. Gotcha. With, gotcha. Let's finish with this one. The best Marissa Motay Tomei movies ever. The Wrestler. No, shut up. <laughs> the one fucking before the devil knows you're dead. Yes, that's a good one too. I'm sticking with a different world. Season one. <laughs> Playing for keeps. Okay, that's it. Okay. Josh, it's me, it's Josh. All right, so we're gonna. <laughs> Vince is like, what the fuck? <laughs> I okay. was a little bit, yeah. So, so I do a VHS review every every week. Yeah, if you listened, you know that From something I, out of my VHS collection. I talk too long. I don't have this this so, amount of time to get to the end of the podcast. I decided to go super mainstream this time. And I went with a... A super n- mainstream VHS review? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I went gotcha. with a 1981 TV movie called The Killing of Randy Webster. What the fuck is that? So <laughs> mainstream, man. So mainstream. All right, so this is from director Sam Wanamaker, the director of Sinbad and the Eye of the Tiger, my favorite Sinbad. Well, no, he's not anymore my sin- favorite Sinbad. No, your favorite Sinbad okay. the Lou Ferrigno one at, directed by Enzo G. Castellari. No, my favorite Sinbad movie is fucking <laughs> The Seventh Voyage of Sinbad. No, it's Lou no, Ferrigno. The Seventh Voyage of Sinbad. <laughs> uh, 
Okay, so this is a kind of... Okay, this is based on a true story about a kid, a teenager named Randy Webster, who, who was in Texas, and he got killed by cops, and then his dad went... Um, didn't didn't believe the story so he went digging and he found out that the cops had killed his kid this is not a spoiler it's in the whole fucking just go read the case for god's sake but they <laughs> they killed the kid the kid was um dead and then they they did what's called a throwdown, and they threw down a gun that had the kid's fingerprints on it so it looked like the kid was armed when really they just shot an innocent kid okay so i okay so i actually thought this was a pretty engaging tv movie like the peanut butter solution? No. I, okay. I actually really like this. Dude, the fe- peanut butter solution is awesome. Shut your mouth. <laughs> so, I just shut want to get mouth. into a few things about this movie. So We're first of all, Chef, the dad in this movie is played by Hal Holbrook. I love Hal Holbrook. Speak more. Everyone loves Hal Holbrook. Creep show. Spe- speak more. Creep show. His wife is named Billy. Like in Creepshow. Like in Creepshow. Wow. <laughs> this is I from, didn't even know you were going to say that. This is from 1981. So it's the year before Creepshow. <laughs> and, Billy, yeah. and Billy is played by Dixie Cohen, who was Sam's mom in fucking Different Strokes. <laughs> yeah, I remember her. And also Designing Women. Fuck yeah. How did you know that, dude? <laughs> I watch TV. <laughs> Designing women. Shut up. <laughs> okay, just some of the other casts that are in this movie. I, I really, I, I did kind of like this movie. I liked it so much. I actually went and looked up the case afterwards because I did quite enjoy Holbrook's performance and just the whole way it all played out. Um, one of the cops is played by uh, John Dennis Johnston, who I really like. He's a character actor. A lot of character actors in this movie. This guy in particular, I've seen him around lots of movies. He was really noticeable in the in the Beast Within as a um, as the abusive father. Um, and you've seen this guy around. He's got a real tough face, and uh, uh, yeah, I love him. He's one of the corrupt cops in this movie. Um, this also had really early appearances pre Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Of Sean Penn, Jennifer Jason Lee, hmm. and Sean Penn. I knew it. And <laughs> called it. Yeah. Jennifer <laughs> Jason Lee was so good in this movie. Um, like totally heartbreaking. She played the um, the Randy Webster character's boy uh, girlfriend, and uh, just totally sold it. And, like you could totally see she's going to be a big star. Can so, we technically say her role in Fast Times is heartbreaking too, though, Josh? Not like this. Okay. Um, not really. Really? What? Have you guys seen The Machinist? No. Wow. I just want to say, just on Jennifer Jason, are we talking about Jennifer Jason Lee? Yes, because uh, she's amazing in that movie. I think I said this after I reviewed um, Hateful Eight. She was the best thing about it. I think she's the best actress of our generation, to be I, honest. I actually think that the reason Tarantino hired her was because of her role in The Machinist. There's, uh, there's no backup data on that. I just actually just think that. Yeah, I don't know why I haven't seen it. But she kills it in everything she does, including Fast Times at Ridgemont High, including this movie, including Hatefully, including fucking everything, yeah. including The Hitcher. I love her. Yeah. And she's and this is like young, young. Like this is before Fast Times. I just want to say that you said that how is it heartbreaking in Fast Times? Because you have to think of what her character went through. Yeah, but they played it. But, but you have to you have to admit they played it 
as funny. But they did yeah. in a way, but at the same time, that was something you didn't see in those teen sex comedies. It wasn't like back another eighties teen sex comedy that was really heartbreaking. Yeah, well that's true. But you know, I thought compared to some of the other ones that were coming out at that time, her character arc was pretty fucking heartbreaking at times. Yeah. 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 So, sort of. I didn't I didn't get that as much. But but I think it was more based in uh, it wasn't it wasn't so leaning towards Hollywood making you think it was heartbreaking. It was more leaning towards realism. Like, like even, uh, one of the scenes I remember most vividly from that film was her actually putting exactly three pieces of pepperoni on each slice of pizza, <laughs> you know? And that's real, man. Like, they fucking ask you to do that shit, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, we also had, like, um, a few more actors that I noticed, like Anne Ramsey shows up for like a minute, like Anne Ramsey from like Deadly Friend, like throw mama from the train. Yeah. Goonies, right? Yeah. Like she like shows up for like two seconds as like really briefly as like some landlord. Anthony Edwards is in this movie from uh, Revenge of the Nerds and like ER and Gotcha, like one of our and uh, Top Gun. Oh, of course, Top Gun. <laughs> um, we did an episode on Gotcha, so that's why we have to talk about Gotcha. It also had Chris Mulkey. He's another really g- oh, guy yeah, you yeah, just yeah. noticed in lots of stuff. The, the all the rock music, and it says it's like actually a credit rock music by April Wine. Holy shit! <laughs> yes, it's got some pretty fun stunts. Um, I, I didn't think that the guy who played Randy was that great. His actor named uh, Gary McCleary. He didn't have a huge. Um, acting career he he had a small role in taps and he was also in a movie called the chair which maybe you guys have seen oh yeah i've seen a horror movie yeah um but overall i mean i thought this was yeah not a not a bad little pickup for something i found for a dollar 99 at value village um I'd, I'd never heard of it run before. to value village it had a lot of great actors in it in early roles um it was a tv movie so you're not expecting like cinema history here but for a fun little like you know just sort of slice of life and like uh you know based on a true story which a lot of tv movies were Mm. i learned a little bit and um i i I thought it was pretty pretty cool like just seeing all these guys in in really young roles so the thing is is that we've talked about tv movies of the 70s and 80s in the past where you're not seeing that anymore and and you know a lot of them are based on true stories but i feel they were a lot more earnest than the stuff you're seeing nowadays because now it's all just lifetime movies and all that yeah everything's just blown out of proportion and you know i can see and they always manage to get these pretty big casts in them and this sounds like it's got a pretty wicked cast to me it's got a really wicked cast but the funny thing is is that a lot of the cast weren't wicked at that time yeah holberg it's always good to find these movies though yeah it was a lot of fun finding this. I feel like I feel actually really lucky that I found this one. It was uh, well, because a lot of sorry. Sort of can you recap uh, for for me? Where, where did you find this? How how did you find this? Like, is it on DVD? No, or? it's nowhere to be found. I looked on Letterbox, and I think there's four reviews. But but this, but how did you find it at Value Village? I mean, it must have been on some kind of hard copy. Yeah, I found it. It's an Intervision uh, VHS. Hence, why there it's called yeah. VHS Adventures, Vince. Oh. Shut yeah, up. Like I'm, always, I'm always picking up shit like this and I really enjoy it and I've got a huge collection from the past. So what I'm doing is I'm watching all these movies and then I'm selling them on eBay. <laughs> so um <laughs> And now you know the shtick. <laughs> but um no, yeah, like like yeah, yeah, they're really selling for a lot of money. But um, you know, this was a lot of a lot of fun. I really I really enjoyed it and uh not so much as some of the other ones I've watched, but just for a kind of chill out uh T V movie with some really Early roles from some young actors I thought was really good. Nice. Josh has VHS adventures. 
And with that, I can't believe we're like fucking two hours and 15 minutes into this shit and we still got to oh review my God. 10 more movies each on the next episode. So uh, I hope you guys can look forward to that. Yes, come back in two weeks' time and listen to us talk about our underrated 80s. Um, I know you. I know from what I've heard from feedback of our underrated 70s events, you guys really dig this stuff. And I think we're going to have some really fun titles here. And I'm really... The best thing about these underrated episodes is I have no idea what these guys have on their list. Beetlejuice. And, and I think that... Well, Robocop on mine. But this is what <laughs> this is what we make. This is like... Not only are you guys getting these movies on these lists, we're having so much fun in that sense because I'm like, holy shit, he brought up that movie. And then we're like, oh, that movie too. I made a giant list on the underrated 70s. So, you know, tune in in two weeks for that. And, you know, hopefully you'll find some pretty awesome titles as well. But uh, in the meantime, if you want to hit us up online, you can hit all our social media hubs, Facebook, Twitter, and all that. Just search for GBW Podcast. And uh, yeah. We will see you. And you can go to gbwpodcast.com to see all that stuff too. Exactly. And of course, I'm going to say this even though Josh laughs at me every time. Go on iTunes. Give us a review. Helps us get some more exposure. You guys are awesome. We will see you in two weeks.